Happy Halloween, everybody, and welcome to episode 21 of the PDH Pod, the one and only Magic the Gathering podcast dedicated to the total exploration of the Pauper Commander format. I am your host, Brad Drakfee, and before we introduce our very special guest and our very on-theme guest, let's see what my co-hosts from the East Coast are up to. First, Dave, uh, the Alcadron Vader. How was your week? My week's been really good. I, uh, I, this is going to be a little bit of spoilers. Uh, I, sure, sure. I got to hang out with Chev and Jules last night, and we talked about a very special deck, and you can hear all about it on the other PDH podcast, the second Ooh. podcast in the Would world. That be the House of Commons? You know it is. So definitely Fantastic. check that I out. I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, beef beef they're good was... Dudes. They're, good to, they're good to cast with. They're fun. They're super fun. They're so good at this. I love they are. working with them. <laughs> like, they make it so effortless. I Yeah. They do. Um, but yeah, beef, beef was discussed, but not had. So that's that's yeah. still that's still coming up. But uh, yeah, it was, it was a really good episode. You should check that out. Good deal. Awesome. Well, next up, as usual, is our resident PDH PhD. Liam, how was your week? I've been buried in homework all week, Brad. <laughs> I gathered that just based on some of your tweets and even during the pre-show a little bit. Yeah, it it's it's been a little been a little much, but it's 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 okay. Uh, I know what that was. Uh, yeah, but because the homework is all due on Friday, so it's either getting done or uh, it's getting done. Yeah. <laughs> one way or the other it's gonna be done yeah so uh next week i should be much much more rested in theory in theory good. In god at least tonight you get to talk some pdh yeah i i at least for a little bit definitely looking forward so godspeed all right friend. godspeed yeah. hey dave do you want to give uh a little our guest a little intro before we get to the housekeeping oh portion? my god would i ever Ladies and gentlemen, I am overjoyed to present to you tonight uh, one of my best friends in the PDH community. This man has been by my side for years, uh, an incredible resource at everything he does. The one, the only, Scarecrow. Welcome to the show, Paul. Scarecrow, how's it going? Uh, It's a joy to be on here with you all. I've been salivating over this podcast for months now, and (laughs) I've just been so busy with uh, moving hell, and it's I'm finally getting settled and finally have an opportunity to be here with you all, and I'm very happy about it. Yeah, pretty much from like the first group chat you were in about talking about the creation of the show, you have been on the short list of guests, so we're glad to finally have you on. Glad you could make it. Glad your life at least sounds like it's settled down a little bit. I know you were sort of globetrotting for a while. Yeah. Uh, yep. So I was in Japan and kind of was moving three or four different times to f- in between like temporary housing situations to get back to the States eventually, just because attached to military stuff. So everything has to be more complicated. Right. <laughs> of course. All right. Well, before we get into the meat and taters, as they say, of the rest of the show, let's hit the housekeeping real quick. And then we'll do a little bit of MTG news and then we'll get on to the main topic. Uh, first, just want to give the um, our Patreon a shout out. If you want to check that out, support the show. We got a lot of behind the scenes content. We did almost an hour's worth of pre-show tonight. So that'll be up in the next day or two. If you were a Patreon, you could hear it. Patrons like 
I'll tell you who's going to hear it. Sam, Chad, CK, Derek, Con, Matt, Fridge, the legendary Fridge, Patrick, William, and somebody named Paul. Hmm. His name's Paul. That is Paul. Hmm. He was our very first patron. He's gone. He's gone rogue. I'm not sure where he is. <laughs> I wonder who that guy is. Yeah. Could, and then could, be, could um, be anyone. I almost forgot, but our buddy Sean the Lobbert is doing some really killer work on videos, on gameplay videos for us for the YouTube channel. They're taking. He's taken our three hour <laughs> three hours monday streams and turning them into 12 minute narrated game gameplay videos so that's been really awesome you can expect uh hopefully expect a couple of those a month so check that out there we're just the pdh pod on youtube as well and i think that's about it for the housekeeping i, I watched i watched that recent game where uh you you cinched it in the end with risen reef that mm-hmm. was that game was that was high quality entertainment start to finish that, that a was game. a good game yeah yep. How many board wipes was that? Oh, I can't I count say that four high. Or five. How many? How there many was... master's degrees do I have in math? Not enough. <laughs> <laughs> Whales wipe the board with a gigantic Clark clan shaman. I think at least twice. Emmanuel wiped with pestilence, and then his own Clark clan shaman. Robert may have wiped one. I'm, I'm not really sure. There was at least four or five. <laughs> it was crazy. And there was also like a slum reaper in the mix, right? Uh huh. There was a slum reaper. Wales was cruising through the dungeon. Yeah, it was it was wild. So, but yeah, good times, good times. But yeah, that's all I wanted to do for the shout out and promote the show a little bit. Liam, what do you got for us for some news? So there's quite a bit this week. The first thing I'm going to do is secret layers because we're not done. There was a secret layer announced in the last week that is coming on sale sometime in November. I don't care anymore. Uh, it's the Extra Life Secret Lair. <laughs> and at some point towards the end of this month, you'll have the 30th anniversary. If you care about that stuff, it's there. But I, I am just here to convey a message. Brothers War Story has started. Uh, I, I am sort of kind of not really caught up on that. Uh, I did read like the first two episodes of mm-hmm. the old lore and the first chapter of the new lore. I like how they split it episode and chapter so you could tell if it was uh, old lore recap or new lore. Yeah, well, yeah I thought that was pretty clever. It's also not even old lore recap. It, it's, it's new lore that takes place in the past. And then there's the new lore that takes place in the present. Uh, and then at some point, I think today the story dropped where they like overlap or something. I, I have no idea. Uh, but if you're on top of the Brothers War story, congratulations to you. Yeah. Previews start two days from now, or by the time this podcast drops, that'll be yesterday. And there has been Phyrexia all will be one packaging spoiled because, you know, as the sun sets on the Brothers War and the all will be one packaging seems to indicate that Atraxa will be playing a role in the set story, which is mm-hmm. important because that means we will likely get a new Atraxa card, which means we yeah. are... And that art was badass. It, it was, and I'm excited for that because it means potentially another four-color commando. I mean, not for us, uh, but, yeah, sure, but sure, sure. for Magic in general, a seventh four-color <laughs> commando will be welcome. Right. Uh, yeah, and so that's all we got for this week in Magic, uh, for Magic-related news. I do want to take a moment to uh, send a congratulations out to the Rags to Riches uh, con- contest tournament 
TDH event. Mm-hmm. The one that we've been that, the one that we've been pro- promoting at the end of every show. Yeah, the one yep. that we've been promoting for about six, seven episodes, something like that. Uh, that happened this past weekend on Sunday, and a Philly local named Kai piloted Ellis Ilkoa from Dominaria United to victory of the event. It looks like the event was a success, and I'm hoping it yeah, was. absolutely. Because if that's the case, they'll do it again. Yep. I mean, Orzov took the took the crown, so it had to be a good event. Yeah. You know. <laughs> but no, that, okay. that was honestly surprising. So I'm glad Orzov won. I'm glad Kai won. Sounds like an awesome event. Yeah. It it sounded awesome. The Twitter thread that exists that I've seen looks awesome. I'm really hoping it was considered a capitalistic success so that they'll do it again. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. All right. Well, nice little recap, Liam. Thank you for that. I think we're going to circle kind of back around to the beginning and get back with Paul the Scarecrow. This is the part where you come in. We usually try to get like a little mm, Magic the Gathering resume, if you will, sort of what got you into the game originally, what brought you to PDH, you know, just just that sort of thing, just sort of who you are, what what your pedigree is with, with Magic and kind of what you love about it and the format. And uh, I'll hand it over to you. All right. Uh, how I got into Magic originally was at Scout Camp uh, 2004, and I remember Mirrodin had come out fairly recently, and I was just learning from my friends sitting around a picnic table, and some kid from another troop rolled up, and he absolutely swept the floor with my friends using <laughs> a Broodstar deck. And for anyone that has encountered me online on Discord or Twitter, uh, they'll know I have Broodstar as my icon. And that's the card that got me into Magic, and I've just kind of been rocking it whenever I could ever since. That was that became the centerpiece of like the first deck that I ever loved, and I it was my best deck for like the next seven or eight years of being a Temi. Mm-hmm. Um, so eventually I got into EDH and figured out how to not be a Temi. And that became pretty <laughs> expensive pretty quickly. Sure. Yeah. So that's how I made my way to PDH was without knowing anything about the community that was already growing online. In the summer of 2016, I started messing around with, okay, well, I know I've heard of Popper, so I'm just going to make a budget EDH deck that's all commons in the 99, and I don't know, I'll use an uncommon legendary. There's like 10 of those or something. <laughs> so I had um, Rekava, Ravica, something like that. It pings for damage, and mono blue infect. It was awful. Ravica? And then, yeah. Wizard nice. Savant from Homelands, the dwarf. Yeah, yes. yes. And and then I had a Seki, daughter of Seshiro. Fantastic. It's a shaman and it's shaman and snake tribal or something like that. It was just yeah. mono green ramp stomp. <laughs> they were atrociously bad, but I just had them in my arsenal to be like a pair of dual decks, kind of for a budget mm-hmm. alternative. And I just kind of sat on those and played around with them every now and then, and had the idea rolling around in my head for about two years until I discovered the actual community through reddit and i just fell in love and became so wrapped up in that that i quickly became like quickly got an invite from ruffkin to help him moderate that subreddit mm-hmm. and it's that was just love at first sight and i've been absolutely just chest deep in the community ever since <laughs> yeah that's fantastic yeah you're really um every, every time a 
uh, Twitter question gets brought up or, you know, even something small, you end up, you know, writing out this big, long thread with all pictures and reasons and strategies and lines oh, yeah. and stuff. It's, it's really, it's honestly impressive, like how deep you go and how fast you come back with that information. Like it would take me an hour to research most of the stuff. You're just like, and here you go. Here's five tweets. Being enthusiastic and long-winded is exactly how I've gotten to where I am. <laughs> so like uh, War of the Spark came out and I wrote a 1500 word Reddit post, if I remember correctly. No, it was Ooh. 2000 words. Like it was, it was, had no business being a Reddit post. It was one of those <laughs> where it's like, it doesn't fit in the post. So it goes into another comment and then another comment. Uh-huh. Right. It's like right. where it's like the length of when people write like fan fiction online. <laughs> and it was all about well we're seeing all the old traditional rules for what makes a common broken and we're seeing more powerful or more complicated stuff and this is fantastic for our format it's amazing mm -hmm. it was just pure excitement about that trend and comparing to historical norms previously and talking about um the new world order which was the norm for what commons were printed before then and yeah, before this, fire design and all that. Right. And I wrote this before they had told us that what fire design was. And I ended up reaching out to Pod and it got lost in the spam folder for a while. But oh. eventually I ended up heavily editing that and turning it into the first article I ever wrote for PDH home base. And eventually I was there just like Alcadron to manage to just slip right into the RC when it formed, or actually I stayed out for a few months cause I was like, I want to focus on article writing. And then I had an sure. opinion on everything the RC did because <laughs> I'm a jerk. <laughs> so, Sounds like a good journalist to me. Yeah. That's how I've gotten where I am. And it's been yes. a joy the whole way, especially because I've had Alcadron's help. So for those that don't know, Alcadron does editing for most of the articles that go up on home base and I'm the kind of person that like worries and like nitpicks my own ideas constantly and never feels like it's good enough. And mm -hmm. Alcatron editing stuff is just like a massive weight off my chest. And I always come out of the editing process feeling like my work is 10 times better or at least, you know, less worrisome Yeah. <laughs> thanks to his editing. So I've always been super thankful for having his help along the way. Yeah. The secret is I change very little. His his work is just that good originally. I just like show him that. That's, oh, I know. I've seen yeah, it. You can't yeah. edit. You can't edit tweets on Twitter. So I've seen <laughs> right? his work. It's good. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. As, lo <laughs> as long as that's been very clear, I wanted to make sure oh, yeah. who who gets the actual credit here. So what I'm hearing is you've always kind of been picnic slash kitchen table and hundred card formats. Were, were you ever like um, a tournament goer, paper events, or anything big like that? Never. I have never actually taken part in a tournament. Um, okay, cool. My EDH pods that I've been with were either incredibly casual, like we were all Timmies, or mm -hmm. uh, the pod I had for five years in Japan were a bunch of legacy nerds that also <laughs> played EDH on the side. And I, I got a lot better playing with them and learned to be a much better deck builder thanks to them but sure. it, it was painful for a while. <laughs> like they, they have tabernacles and I'm still like struggling to get two cost rocks into my decks. Yeah. Right. Oh, well that's good stuff. Yeah. Well, we are very happy to have you on the show this week. We, um, we have found out that our little three by three archetype deck dives are pretty popular, but this week is sort of a Halloween special. We're going to do a four by four, obviously four of us, four decks. Sounds good. And we all decided that it would only make sense to do it 
uh, spooky-themed, Halloween-themed, if you will. So Liam, I think it was Liam's idea, he chose Let's Work with the Graveyard for these decks, and I thought that was a heck of an idea. Yeah, no, I was just I was going to uh, input that there was no real archetypal overlap other than deal with the graveyard in some way. So I think uh, I'm dealing with killing and resurrecting my commander a lot, and I think one of us is doing... Like discard, am I am I right? Yep, that's lock dragon. Yep, sure. That's that. Uh, Paul's doing a, a discard theme. So as long as your deck yard, uh, yeah, deck yard. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the junkyard. I mean, graveyard. <laughs> yeah, uh, the scrapyard. Uh, as long as your deck deals <laughs> with the uh, the graveyard in some fashion and and heavily deals with it, then then it was a good pick for the Halloween themed four by four. Yeah, excellent. Dave, you want to tell them about our pillars for the graveyard stuff? I would be delighted to. We we came up with the, the four pillars that are going to define and shape and help you structure and build a graveyard-focused deck. The first pillar is you need to have a reliable and efficient way to put cards into your graveyard. Uh, it could be mill, could be discard, could be sacrifice, whatever it is. As long as cards are, going, are ending up in your graveyard, then you're doing it. Bingo, yep. Second pillar... You need to then take the cards out of your graveyard. <laughs> we put them there for a reason. It is so that we can utilize them from the graveyard doing something. We're going to put them back in our hand, or we're going to just cast them from the yard, or use some ability on them from the yard, put them back into play maybe. They have to go from the yard to somewhere else. Yep. Um, the third pillar, as always, is how to not die, which is uh, our, our flavor of the week for control. And the fourth pillar, as always, is how to not run out of gas. Yep. Which How to is... keep your hand full and your creatures uh, going. I usually, I usually shorten this to, you know, how to keep your hand full. But for this episode, it might be more prudent to broaden that into how to make sure there are always spells available for you to cast. Ooh, okay. Because they like might it. not come from the hand. All right. Eh? Eh? Dave, we got to talk, yeah. okay? Because okay, let's talk. The the next three by three, you're gonna have to give up either control or card advantage. One of them's got to go. Fight me in the parking lot about you, it. You, what? You can't <laughs> Why? Have three p.m. I mean, don't get me wrong. They they are both essential to most decks. However, you can't keep getting away with this. Ah, uh, I can and I will. He <laughs> shall. <laughs> just eating popcorn. <laughs> sometimes that's all you can do paul you can just just let them roll all right we're selling yeah, tickets I mean... uh they are your choice of one three or five dollars all you got to do is go to a patreon.com slash the pdh <laughs> uh promises of videos <laughs> depicting violence uh are not actually legally binding part of our patreon but i'm not saying it won't happen it might happen right all i'm saying yeah, is there disclaimer. might be a video in the future if Dave and I have a weekend that lines up where we can uh, <laughs> battle it out on Brad's, Brad's stream. There you go. Maybe yeah. you can joust. Uh, maybe. Yeah. De De Denny's parking lot, 3 a.m., as is tradition. Jousting is, tradition. is not yeah. illegal in the state of Maryland, but flamethrowers are. Oh, God. <laughs> Don't ask me Ooh, why yeah. I know this. <laughs> keep, keep your secrets. <laughs> yeah, right. That's for patrons only. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, okay, let's let's round it up a little bit here. Right. Uh, normally, when we do these three by threes, we name out the pillars and then, like, say, I'll take my deck 
and I'll run through all the pillars of the deck and I'll get the I'll get I'll get the um, the stage for 15 minutes and, and nobody wants to listen to that. So I think what we decided to do this week is sort of go over the pillars like we just did. And then rather than going person by person, deck by deck, we will talk about pillar one, you know, compare and contrast my pillar one to everyone else's yada, 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 and then move on to the next one. How does that sound? Sounds for me. good. Sounds like you're in charge. <laughs> God. <laughs> I don't know if we decided who's going first. No, I just assumed same I, order as show notes. I think that, Brad, your deck and my deck are probably the most archetypal, stereotypical graveyard deck. Mm-hmm. Okay. But I feel like, I, well, I, I should say, I feel like your yours and mine are the most archetypal, ar- archetypical versions of the graveyard deck mechanics. Okay. My deck is pretty <laughs> atypical along at least yes. one very important axis. So I think I think yeah, you you, you might have me beat as like the standard issue graveyard deck. So I think I think you should go first. Well, don't we usually in- introduce the Yoggle deck first, or do we do that last? I think well, Yoggle goes last. So I it's think yeah. do we do that last. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Save I think we should surprise. go in 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 the order Brad, Dave, Lee, and Paul. I think okay. that's the order. Sounds good. All right, BDLP. I like it. All right, first up for my graveyard list for the week for the season for the Halloween season, I chose Necropanther. Mainly oh, Orzov. Really? I I know. I went out Shocked. on a limb. Something I'm not used to. You know, I really stressed myself thin on this one. <laughs> anyway, not a fan of cats, if that matters. But no, Necropanther, it's, I've really gotten to, since I've gotten into PDH, I've really gotten to enjoy the mutate mechanic. So that was one deciding factor. Two, obviously, Orzov. And then three, Nightmare as a creature type is probably my all-time favorite creature type in the game outside of maybe Horror, which you don't see as often as, as Nightmare, I don't think. But either way, Nightmare is definitely my favorite. It's we a sweet-looking card. Yeah, we could definitely use more of both. That would be awesome. They are my favorite creature types. So basically, Necropanther, for those of you who don't know, and I didn't, I wasn't super familiar with it until I started researching for this episode, but it's a generic, a white and a black for a 3-3 cat nightmare with mutate of two generic and then Orzov hybrid, Orzov hybrid. And, when, and it says, whenever this creature mutates, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. And you, I think you kind of nailed it, Dave. Like, that is straight up, like graveyard like here's your graveyard it's got stuff in it you need to do one specific thing to get the stuff from the graveyard onto the battlefield Mm -hmm. so that's what i decided to do and we'll just kind of move down to where we at here for pillar one putting cards in the yard so basically to bend stuff i chose a lot of things that i would probably normally play in their color anyway like scion of hollister the background that you know, the first time you draw each turn, you look at an additional card and, th- you know, pick one, throw it in your graveyard, yada, 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 the background. It works in a lot of decks, but I think in graveyard-centric decks, it's extremely nice. Um, I also run, I'm going to run uh, Tortured Existence for, in case you mill something away that you didn't want to mill away, you can trade it for something else. Or if something in your hand would be cheaper to reanimate, quote-unquote, Maybe you discard it with Tortex to get just something else back. Uh, rotting Rats, any sort of discard effect like that, Rotting Rats I'm going to use. Um, I actually put in Stinkweed Imp and Putrid Imp. Imp. I like the idea of Dredge. I don't know if it's going to be that impactful, but I do like the idea of Dredge alongside of Tortured Existence, so we'll see how that plays out. And Putrid Imp has always sort of 
mm, piqued my interest when it comes to discarding cards because you can just, I mean, theoretically just dump your whole hand to it if you wanted to. So I've always kind of liked that. And, and I like having creature outlets or creatures that are outlets for my discarding or to get cards into the graveyard, basically. There's one on here that I was kind of on the fence about, but I, I did end up putting it in, and that's Celestis Sanctifier. I've never actually played with this card. It's a day-night mechanic or day-night creature from um, uh, Midnight Hunt, sorry. And basically it's a 3-2 human cleric. If it's neither day or night, when it enters the battlefield, it becomes day. Whenever day becomes night or night becomes day, look at the top two cards of your library, put one of them into your graveyard. One of the only so, white card filtering mm -hmm. in your graveyard cards in existence. God, I right. wish we had more of those. <laughs> so I thought this would be an interesting include. It may... I've never played... A, I've played against them, but I've never actually played a day-night deck, so I don't know how, how um, tracking it, you know, how difficult that is to track. But with only one of those cards in my deck, it's not super likely that I'll play it every single game. But I thought it was an interesting effect, and it's it's a good slot to swap out if, if it doesn't pan out or if I find something better. So I wouldn't be sad to lose it either way. So there's some of those creature-based discard and or, you know, graveyard filling effects. I have a very small blood token package in here with pointed discussion and blood fountain. And then blood server, blood servitor also works great for blood tokens and can be brought back with the panther. So you can keep cycling those blood tokens, put whatever you want to in the yard, that sort of thing. And then I also found Eerie Soul Tender. I don't know how I never knew this card existed before like two days ago, but it's from Dominaria United. And when it enters the battlefield, you mill three. It's a 3-1 uh, Spirit Cleric, if that matters. And then for four generic and a black, you can exile it from your graveyard, return another target creature from your graveyard to your hand. So it's not like groundbreaking or you know table-shaking effects, but it's really cool. It seems really efficient and can help out in a pinch, too. And I think I saw somebody else's deck in the show notes with that card, too. But uh, yeah. maybe they have a little more experience with it than I do. Like, I haven't ever played with it. I just saw it when I was researching the deck, and I'm like, yep, that seems good. I like creatures that can mill. And then, yeah, I think that's about it. Most of my graveyard filling is going to come from creatures. I have a couple symmetrical discard effects but most of it is going to come from the creatures themselves so and that's what i'm used to you know i'm big into um tortured existence decks so i'm used to running through creatures you know in my hand graveyard battlefield hand graveyard battlefield that sort of thing so that's what i'm used to and that's sort of the the direction i took and then i have a very small discard package with like mind rake if you overload it miasmic mummy uh discerning taste those sort of spell-based effects that'll put cards in your yard. But for the most part, I'm focusing on creatures. I think I have 33 creatures total in here, and probably half of them take a card out of my hand or from the library and put it into the graveyard. So that is going to be my strategy for, for binning stuff up. I like it. And I think that's all I got on that. Real quick feedback based on yeah. some of the things you said. You mentioned being vaguely sort of unsure about Dredge. In my experience, dredge is always better than everyone gives it credit for. So, like, it's and I it know is, that's that's the case in sixty card. I've just never played it in PDH ever. It's however good you think it is, it's better than that. Uh, it's probably the <laughs> awesome. most the most underestimated ability. Yeah, yep. it is super powerful. Yeah, and you can do it every single turn. You can just yeah. do it all day, every day, all day, every day. The other thing is the the day night thing. Uh, mm -hmm. I have 
handful of games with uh, Day Night Commander, where I mm -hmm. sort of have to track that thing constantly. Across uh, an entire game, you can expect day to flip to night maybe once, maybe twice, maybe zero okay. times. And then it flips back to day instantly. Yeah, that's what yeah. I found with uh, the Boros uh, Cavalier was the same way. There's a lot of turns where people play one spell. Yeah. Sure. The, the, yeah, that makes sense. The the frequency in really, which I really like that we had this effect in white. It was yeah, it was nice. It's a it's a cool effect. I wish it were on a more reliable trigger because the day night so, trigger is brutal. The one thing I'll yeah. note is that me and Alec have both played it where my whole payoff is based on day or night. So there's a lot more incentive for people to play around it and avoid it. And I think if you just have like a one of, and it's not even a big payoff, it's just card filtering. Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be no one that's trying to play around that ever. So sure. And that's kind of what I was hoping. Like it would just be a passing thought instead of a target. Yeah, possible. So, yeah. Hopefully we'll see. And like I said, I'm not attached to it really at all. So if I play a few games and I never cast it or I cast it and don't like it, I don't mind switching that out. Not a problem. Yeah. Uh, I just I wanted to chime in real quick to say you, you're probably underestimating Dredge and overestimating the Sanctifier, but perfect. You gotta you gotta play I with like them that. to to figure out exactly where they are, and then uh, yeah, adjust as needed. Yeah, I love me some Dredge. Dredge just amused by the uh, the self discard. Like that definitely feels like a sixty card popper power move. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with putrid. Yeah, a lot of yeah. this is um is driven by me playing tour decks and different discard decks and, and 60 card popper so we'll, we'll actually have to see how it works out in 100 cards but you never know but i think mr dave was up next yeah i'm gonna slide right. into my commander uh yeah. i'm going to tell you about a commander today that is strictly speaking not a legal pdh commander <laughs> it's okay though paul is on the rules committee and he has greenlit this episode so uh, I'm allowed to I'm allowed to talk about this. My commander is a green enchantment called Autumnal Gloom, which has two abilities. For a single black mana, you can mill the top card of your library. So that's pillar one taken care of. We'll just put a put a check mark in that box. Uh, my commander just mills a card for one mana each. It's pretty crazy. The second ability is at the end of your turn. If you have delirium, this enchantment transforms into its back face, and the back face is a 4-4 trample with hexproof. It's just a really thick, angry tree. Big old beast. Yeah. So based just on that, you can kind of imagine that this deck is being going to be pulled in a, a handful of directions at once. You're going to want to do you're going to want to do a lot of volt or you're going to want to do a lot of graveyard stuff. Because you, you have this really efficient mill engine to put cards into your yard. So you're going to want to have to find really clever, powerful ways to take them out of the yard to get value out of that. You're going to want to have a really weird and unusual spread of card types. So you can reliably trigger Delirium and flip this guy into a massive angry beat stick. And then you're going to... You're going to want to use the massive angry beat stick to close games eventually, hopefully, <laughs> uh, by giving him an axe, because that's what yep. trees use. I've chosen this list for today specifically because this is categorically and it always my Halloween deck. A lot of the decisions I made when putting this deck together were based off of uh, aesthetics and flavor and what was going to be the most Halloween-ish. And it's also just like autumnal gloom. 
the name is very Halloween. And it is uh, very Halloween. It turning into a big tree, like it's very fall harvest time spooky flavored. Very cool. I like it. Yep. My uh, I think you nailed it there on the flavor. I yeah. <laughs> I, I I put a lot of effort into this being Halloween flavored like a year ago when I built it. So maybe it was two years ago that I built it. I don't know. Time is an illusion. <laughs> but Brad talked about the first pillar, so I'm going to talk about that just a little bit. The first, first pillar is putting stuff into your graveyard. I'm going to do that with the commander a lot. Single black mana to mill a card. It's going to mill me a lot of cards before this guy flips, mm -hmm. one hopes. He doesn't mill cards after he flips, which means that you need to have backup mill packages. And for that, I have gone pretty hard into this collection of cards. I like to call these the, the, the card selection, mill plus card selection suite. Uh, and you'll find a handful of these in green and black. Things like Grizzly Salvage and Scout the Borders will each let you look at the top five cards of your library. You put one into your hand and you bin the rest. So that's four cards in your graveyard. And you get to choose which one goes into your hand. Mm -hmm. There's some restrictions on these, uh, but you're, in generally you, you get a lot of choice in this. Vessel of Nascency is an enchantment that does almost the same thing. Discerning Taste is a sorcery that does almost the same thing. Seder Wayfinder is a creature that does almost the same thing. And so we have lots of redundancy with this effect that's going to let me sort of like slowly shape my hand while also filling up my graveyard. And the redundancy of this effect comes attached to a bunch of different card types. We have instant sorcerers, creatures, enchantments that are all doing this for us, which is going to help us get delirium. Mm -hmm. I'm also going to fuel the, the the mill package, the put things into my graveyard plan. I'm going to fuel that a handful of times with cards that sacrifice themselves. Uh, so these are going to be things like Wayfarer's Bauble, Wanderer's Twig, Horizon Spellbomb. These are all cheap little artifacts that you can sacrifice to get a land out of your deck. So that, that, that will put artifacts into my graveyard for me. Uh, Fetch Lands and Harrow will put lands into my graveyard cycling lands will put lands in my graveyard by cycling themselves <laughs> so that's uh that's most of the plan for getting things into my yard i'm going to mill with the commander i'm going to do some selective card milling with uh, a bunch of spells that'll put cards into my hand and i'm going to sacrifice artifacts lands i'm going to sacrifice some enchantments weirdly one of the best cards in this deck is omen of the hunt because it's ramp mm. It's ramp that is attached to a card type that does not often ramp. So it yep. it's a, it fills the ramp slot, it checks off a... It, it moves me towards, you know, critical mass of enchantments to work towards Delirium, and it bins itself. It'll, it has a mechanic that sacrifices itself. You can sacrifice it to Scry 2 after you've cast it to get a land. So it, it so checks... So literally for that, that card's whole existence, it's just nothing but value. Yeah, it checks all on, of the On boxes. the battlefield, like, in the graveyard. <laughs> yep, yeah, it's fantastic. So, uh, yeah, that yeah that's... Perfectly Golgari plan. I love it. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, that's me. That's uh, Autumnal Gloom. That's the first pillar. That's what I'm doing. I like it. I, I've never... I haven't tried to play with Delirium yet, but it seems like, like you nailed it. You know, with your instance, with your spell package, your creature package, your enchantments, your artifacts, all that stuff. And they all seem... You know, they're not corner case either. They're not like you have a very specific artifact that needs to do one thing and you got to work real hard to get it into the graveyard. Like, they just ramp you. Like, <laughs> you get it down mm -hmm. and it's probably in the graveyard the same turn you cast it. 
Mm-hmm. Or or you or you just mill it and or then yeah, you just you, you just straight up mill it. You have the artifact in your yard because there's enough artifacts in your deck to get you there. It's uh this is the only delirium deck I have, and it was building it was a weird sort of like mental exercise because I've I've never given that much thought to like trying to balance card types. Sure. What what kind of balance did you end up with? Like how many artifacts, instants, sorceries, enchantments do you have in the deck? I can tell you. Uh mm-hmm. The current list is sitting at 20 creatures, 13 sorceries, 15 instants, 11 artifacts, 17 enchantments, 33 lands. Wow, you really did get a pretty even balance. Yeah, it's, I, it's impressive. <laughs> uh, some some of that's going to change around a little bit. So uh, right now there's there's five cards currently listed on the sideboard, and those are cards that have come out in recent sets that I haven't had time to update the deck with yet. So mm-hmm. like those might those might adjust up and down a little bit. So like Eerie Soul Tender is definitely going in this deck, but it's such a recent release that it's currently listed as a sideboard card because I haven't found the cut. Yeah. Makes yeah, sense. so those those will change a little bit, but yeah, it's uh, 2013, 15, 11, 17, 33. It's pretty pretty even mix. Yeah, pretty straightforward. I like it. This is it's just this Golgari engine just churning along. What's yeah. great? It does pretty well for itself. It got a lot of help from like there's there's a bunch of weird cases that are like bizarrely powerful for this, like Greater Tanuki. Yeah, Greater mm-hmm. Tanuki is a six mana six five trampler, but it's an enchantment creature. So it's checking yeah. off two of your types in one card, and it channels itself to ramp. Yeah. So it just puts itself into your graveyard <laughs> to put a land into play. It's and then it's, yeah, no, it's like Greater Tanuki. Yeah, there's a lot of cards that you're just like, wow, that card is weirdly bizarrely good for Delirium specifically. Specifically, yeah. Yeah, Pilgrim's Eye is the other really like unreasonably good one because it's a, it's got it's an artifact creature. It puts a land in your hand. Ramps you. Yep. Yeah. You know, and then stuff too, like Greater Tanuki, it's not just like, oh, okay, it meets Delirium, it ramps me. If you don't need it to, it'll beat face. He's real thick. well. Yeah. <laughs> That's where I love using it is like ramp stomp decks because I'm yeah. being orgible Temmie. Yeah. I, I mean, I you got a lot of stuff, you know, instead. a lot of big old creatures here, but that one in particular is real good. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he's massive. He's going to get there. All right. Liam, what do you got for pillar number one? My commander is a fan favorite, heralding all the way from 2014 with a recent reprint in the year, I believe, 2020. Okay, My commander was originally a common, but with their reprint, uh, they were pushed up to an uncommon, where they then became legal for this episode two and a half years later. And that is our good friend. Oh, we were supposed to do legal commanders? Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh, man. Uh, And that is our good friend Gary, the Merchant of Asphodel. Despite being named Gary, Merchant of Asphodel, they are not a legendary creature, which is odd, but it's okay. (laughs) So the idea behind this deck is to set up a Gary loop, but doing what most combo decks don't want to do and, you know, telegramming that from turn zero, or telegraphing it, sorry. Got to push myself up there half a century. Telegraphing it. Yeah. (laughs) So... This deck, because it lacks a lot of the combo colors, like blue or white, doesn't really set up an infinite loop, but it does set up enough times to win the game. Because if Gary hits the board four to five times, it just tends to end the game. So with Pillow 1, we are putting our gray armor in and building up a generic mono-black value board. Uh, Then we're going to play Gary and then stack Gary. So... What does mono black value look like? 
Brad, I know you can answer that pretty well. Mono black value, it, I love it. I personally love it. It's one of my favorite things about Orzov. Yeah. It's just, it's cheap creatures, it's card draw, it, it's cheap disruptive creatures. Yeah, exactly. That actually have a board presence. Exactly. Yep. So we're, we're playing two to three mana, really well-statted creatures that enter the battlefield with some kind of discard or edict effect stapled on. Uh, so we're looking at Burglar Rat and Company, uh, such as Elder Fang Disciple and Virus Beetle. And we're looking at the Fleshbag crew, which includes Chain Devil, Liliana Spectre, Slum Reaper, and more. We are really looking to kind of control just a tiny bit with our creatures, what our opponents are doing, uh, by making them discard some cards in their hand. Even better if, they, if they've already played out a bunch of this stuff, so they don't have many options to discard. And then Edict Effects to clear some creatures off the board. These creatures, once they're on the board, tend to just play uh, uh, chump blocking roles, uh, or maybe bounce, bounce blocking bowls. I think Liliana Spectre is a discard effect, Brad. Thank you for... Yep. Sorry, I, I can't show notes correctly tonight. Um, <laughs> I, I will probably say other stuff that doesn't make sense, so please just, just correct me. Just keep on listening. Yeah, uh, so when you're building a generic mono black value board, there's more to it than just uh, discard needed effects, though. So I'm also focusing on generic mono black uh, value found in stuff like Crypt Rats, but the deck also plays into the life game a little bit from Gary. So we're looking uh, at gaining even more life with cards like Death Greeter, draining our opponents for more life with cards like Bloodseeker, and then capitalizing on some of that with Epicure of Blood and Marauding Blight Priest. And the value doesn't... My favorites. Yeah. Oh yeah, and the value doesn't stop there either. So I decided, you know what? Where Gary really shines is is its life drain ability, right? Like you, you create a bunch of devotion to the god of, the god of death, Erebus, and then... You play Gary and drain your opponents for a bunch of life. But what you really need to be doing is making sure your opponents are also hitting each other because you can't just win off Gary alone, right? Gary is the, the impetus of, your, of you winning, but it's not you know, going to get there just on its own. So how, how in Mono Black do we get our opponents to attack each other? Well, there are these wonderful mechanics called Monarch and Initiative. <laughs> and it turns out everyone wants those. And when you're gaining a bunch of life, you don't actually mind being hit a couple times so your opponents can get those. If your opponents like keep passing them around, they're hitting each other, right? So they're draining themselves for you. Mm-hmm. You're all having our, our common buddies, Vicious Battle Rager, Underdark Explorer, and Thorn of the Black Rose uh, playing a little bit of sneaky games in here too. And then of course, no mono black deck would be, or, or mono black value uh, deck would be complete without some kind of sacrificing. So we're looking at Visceristia, uh, just a really good free stack outlet. Uh, Carrion Feeder, also a really good free stack outlet. Corpse Hollow is one of my favorite cards for this deck. Uh, for those who don't know, it is a two-mana, two-one creature with the ability two and a black, sacrifice it, return another target creature from the graveyard to your hand. We'll talk about that effect more later, but that's uh, just one of the ways we can get Gary back from the graveyard. And mm-hmm. Soldevi Adnate plays really well with Gary. Uh, because you sack him to make, <laughs> you know, five mana, and then all you have to worry about really paying is commander tax. Yep. So that's a that is that is an all star in this deck. Uh, but yeah, no, the the Gary deck for pillow one is really just looking to build some generic mono black value to just get the game rolling and get it going while you set up the the mana and the board state to play Gary two or three times for the kill. I love it. And it sounds very mono black. Like you want to spend the early game just establishing what you're doing. You're just vibing. While trying to control what everybody else is doing. Yeah, you're just you're just vibing along. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I can get down with that too. I see in your list you also have Gibbering Barricade. 
It's a pretty sweet card. The, oh, the yeah. defender that sacks a creature to draw a card oh, yeah. from Dominaria. Yeah, I like that one quite a bit. What do you think, Dave? Paul, do you have anything for Liam's pillar numero uno? Um, just I was curious about what sack outlets you have for Gary. Yeah, there are actually a couple. I don't have them tagged on Moxfield, so you're gonna have to bear with me as I go through it. I've got Bushmeat Potro, uh, which is a card from Akoya. You pay one tap, sack another creature, gain life equal to that creature's toughness, and draw a card. Uh, so that's one way to just get Gary in the graveyard while gaining a little bit of life and getting some card advantage. Carrion Feeder will do it for you for free. Corpse Hollow will do it for you. Going down, I think there is Rot Tide Gargantua. You can exploit the Gary if he's already on the field. Any of the Lovely. any of the edict effects really when you know you you typically sacrifice the thing that's creating the edict, you can sacrifice Gary to the edict effect. Uh, the oh yeah, you've got like what four of those? Yeah, there's uh, four or five in the deck. Yeah, uh, gibbering mm-hmm. gibbering barricade, spark reaper, visceristia, and then I think when you get to the enchantment, there is not. I I do not have any enchantments in the sacrifice. I don't have. Asmod's Alta, because the deck really doesn't want it. Sure. But I do have Tortured Existence, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a reverse sacrifice outlet, if you think about it. <laughs> and I guess Pestilence and Crypt Rats can also take out Gary. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That is a big pile of mono black. Heck yeah, it is. All right, Paul, you're up next. You get the... <laughs> you have the, the, the Yargle for this week's episode. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your uh, commander and then go through your Pillar 1 for us. So looking at the previous three by three episodes, I was always like, oh, what is this? How does this other color do it? And I really enjoyed whenever you all would have like an off color example that was just doing things differently. Yeah, so real, real I, quick, uh, for those of you just joining us, if this is your first rendition of this three by three, we like to have one deck that we call the Yargle, which is doing the theme in a very bizarre way, inspired by Liam's choice of our first pick, literal Yargle. In the Voltron Literal episode. Yargle. <laughs> so uh, Scarecrow is doing the Yargle for this episode, and that's what that means. Doing Graveyard differently than you would expect. Yep. Many apologies Thanks, for the interruption. No, no worries. Carry on. So we've seen a whole lot of black, and I am playing a non-black Graveyard deck. So my pick is Lock Dragon. It is a 4-drop, 3-2 with flying, and whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you can discard a card. It's a May ability. If you do then you draw a card. So just very, very simple ETB and attack trigger rummaging. And really it's an ode to just taking a very simple and unassuming commander and just seeing how much you can play around with it. And the reason that's the Yargle for this one, in addition to the colors, is because black and white and somewhat green love to play around with bringing back creatures from the graveyard, but blue and red go the opposite direction and play around much more with spells. So in two different axes, it's working in different directions, both because of how you get stuff to the graveyard and what cards you want in your graveyard. So for pillar one, how to get stuff to the graveyard, it's mostly done by the commander. Whenever he comes into play or whenever they attack, you discard, then draw. So compared to like dredge or these enchantments and instants and sorceries that mill you, instead you are very precisely targeting the cards you want to get rid of. And that really brings the blue flavor in. Blue wants to be precise and maintain control. They don't they don't want to let any they don't want to leave anything to chance. So you're not going to be accidentally milling a card into your card into your grave that you really wanted. Yeah. So 
Yeah, it's uh, way less random. Yep, very blue. So there are a few supplemental cards beyond the commander that give you more ability to discard, like uh, Electric Revelation, uh, Faithless Looting. There's a few others, but mostly it's just done by your commander. So instead of going for a mass mill strategy where I'm going to mill 15 cards and somewhere in there is going to be the stuff I want, I'm only discarding like maybe six, seven cards in a game, but I'm definitely discarding the things that I want to have in my grave so I can abuse them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like the selection that that blue gives you in that sort of um, that sort of space, that sort of game space. And as far as overall game plan, I guess I skipped right over that. Um, just keeping with simplicity, uh, the deck usually wins with commander damage, just because I have some card advantage and I'm not super threatening. So I'm going to survive to the late game, and I have an evasive commander that I can pump up with red pump spells and equipment, and then smash someone in the face while I'm using. My card advantage to make sure that I have a little bit more interaction available right before we get to the finish line. Yep. I love it. I do too. Yeah, I was pretty interested in seeing how your how your Halloween graveyard deck worked with Is it, but it's it's already making sense just just like based off that that first little pillar you talked about. Yep. All right. Well thank you for that. I think we'll move on to pillar two. Is everybody good with that? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Pillar two is now that we got him in the yard, how do we get him out of the yard? So my pillar two with the Necropanther is Necropanther itself. So that does require my commander to be on the battlefield uh, with a small mutate package, like I mentioned earlier. And then one card that I've always just been in love with, which is Tethmost High Priest. It's a three mana with heroic. When you target him with a spell, you get a creature back with converted mana cost two or less to the battlefield. I, I pretty much designed that to where the High Priest hits literally 50% of my creatures, at least. So that right off the bat is going to be excellent for my strategy, getting creatures back out of the yard. Failing Necropanther and failing the High Priest, I also have creatures with unearth abilities, such as like Rotting Rats, that sort of thing. And then, so, unearth abilities. Uh, I mentioned Tortured Existence earlier, that'll get him back out of the yard, not necessarily to the battlefield, but to my hand if I want to cast him from there, that sort of thing. Uh, I have re- reanimation, just straight up reanimation spells like Late to Dinner, Angelic Renewal, Kaya's Ghost Form, Rise Again, and the actual card Unearth. So I've got all kinds of spells, enchantments, and creatures that will get my things back for me. And it's Necropanther will get creatures three mana and smaller, and Tethmos High Priest will get creatures two mana and smaller. And that right there is almost all of my creatures. So. Between them two being on the board, I shouldn't have any problem getting whatever I want back out of out of the out of the graveyard. And then failing that, you know, if there's something in there that neither of those two can hit, I have stuff like Haunted Fingraph, Mortuary Mire, Omen of the Dead, you know, to get them back either in my hand or top of the library, that sort of thing. And then to play with all these unearthing reanimation abilities and spells and effects, I went ahead and threw Breathless Night in there. It's the Modern Horizons 2 Spirit Knight. 2-2 two, two fly, flying with lifelink. When, whenever Breathless Knight or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, if that creature entered from a graveyard or you cast it from a graveyard, put a plus one, plus one counter on Breathless Knight. I've never been able to make this card work, but I really want it to work here, so I'm going to try it. So, And then outside of that... I'd real I don't remember if it's in this deck or if it's just in my head, but I really want to try to find room for reaping the graves. 
even if storm counts two whatever you paid three mana you get two creatures back that's fine I, I love that card in 60 card i've played with it in other pdh decks and it's it's always been fine like it's never less than fine and sometimes it's just outstanding so that that could be a way to fill your hand real quick get whatever you want back and that sort of thing so literally sort of in in most zones i have a way to get stuff back out of the graveyard whether it's my commander whether it's a creature on board or whether it's a spell directly from my hand or even a land i've got ways to get creatures uh back so i think it's pretty straightforward that's generally what orzov tries to do is just here you're dead give me a turn or two and then i'll resurrect you that that's pretty much about it and i think that pretty much wraps up my uh my pillar too. Did you guys have anything you wanted to add in on that or questions about it? I just love the Breathless Knight include. I was like, gonna say. What you're saying about not getting it to work, that's exactly where I am. <laughs> Ever since it was spoiled, I've wanted to play it in like Popper and PDH and uh -huh. it just it always gets cut. I always, it always well, this, seems, this seems like the perfect place for it. If it's going to work anywhere, it's here. I, yeah, it's I, got to. Like th this this must be the deck that it was built for. Like <laughs> I I had a game a while back where I I caught the um I caught the Breathless Knight with Barrowin. Mm -hmm. And then I revived a couple other things with Barrowin. Like Breathless Knight does work. It, it just does. It it puts in the work all day long. It goes over time and it just it's a when when you get it online, it is an absolute powerhouse. So mm -hmm. gaining that much life means crackbacks aren't as much of an issue. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's just like really quickly like a five five flying lifelink. It's like casually just Baneslayer in Pauper. Yeah. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's so like innocuous when it hits the board, there's like, okay, it's two two flying lifelink. We'll deal with that later. And by the time later rolls around, it's like you said, a five five, seven, seven, eight, eight. <laughs> exactly. Just coming at them. So. Yeah, when when I saw that it was because you know, Barrowin is also like only gets things with low CMCs. When I saw that mm -hmm. Breathless Knight hit that, it was, it was it's it's right at that threshold where you can revive Breathless Knight with Barrowin. I was like, oh, this is gonna get silly. So it's instantly yep. a three three. Yeah. Yeah, with flying and lifelink, beautiful. And then next turn it's a four four. Or if, I mean, if you if you come up with the unearth, like yeah, it just <laughs> yeah, it's a good yep, it's a good I card. I'm I I look forward to the day when you make it work and tell me about it. I do too. <laughs> All right, Dave. How are you unbinning stuff with autumnal gloom? Uh, unbinning stuff is slightly more of a problem for me than binning stuff. Uh, so Brad has the archetypical ar archetypical. I've I've been saying that word wrong all day. Brad has the archetypical reanimation commander in that the commander is going to do a lot of the work pulling stuff out of the grave. I have the archetypical graveyard commander and that my commander is going to do a lot of stuff a lot of work putting stuff into the grave so i need to come up with a different way to get stuff out of the grave uh for me that's mostly just flashback unearth encore uh all of these things i actually think that i've ended up cutting most of the encore from this deck i love encore as an ability but it doesn't really match well with the autumnal gloom kind of voltron mm -hmm. plan uh the the thing that got most of the encore spots are actually scavenge scavenge is okay it lets you pay a cost and exile the card from your graveyard to put its power worth of plus one plus one creatures or plus one plus one counters on a creature you control mm -hmm. so uh dreg mangler is the the 
prime example of this. It's a 3-3 three, three for 3 mana with haste. Scavenge cost is 5. So for 5 mana at sorcery speed, you can exile this card from your graveyard to put 3 plus 1 plus 1 counters on the thing. And when you have a 4-4 four, four trample hexproof tree that does commander damage, <laughs> that's the moment when scavenge becomes worth the cost. Because usually uh -huh. scavenge is just categorically overcosted in every way. Like you look at yeah. a scavenge card and you're like, oh cool, I can use it from the graveyard. For 8 mana, maybe I won't. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, Terrace just, Worm's a little too expensive. Terrace yep. Worm was in this deck for a long time, and I was just like, why are you like this? Why? <laughs> what makes you this way? Right? I was I was just always disappointed in Terrace Worm. Um, but Dreg Mangler I'm very excited about. Like I five mana, five mana for three counters, sorcerer speed, without spending a card to do it, I think is worth the cost. Uh Bannerhide Crewshock is the other one that's just cat it was amazing in this deck. Uh the scavenge on this guy is seven. You get four counters, and mm. he bins himself with a reinforce ability at instant speed. So, so you could get six counters. You could get six counters. <laughs> two of them at instant speed for two mana, and then the other four at sorcery speed for seven mana. And mm -hmm. like usually the seven mana for four counters plan is just a terrible investment, because someone's just going to be like, I'm murdering. And you're like, well, yeah. <laughs> shucks. <Oops>. Like, <laughs> but Your turn. When, when, when you're putting them on a, a hexproof tree that you're going to have, hopefully, if, if all goes according to plan, it's going to be too big for pestilencing. It's gonna, you're going to have too many little squirrels to, to, for it to, die, to lose it to an edict. Mm -hmm. This tree is going to stick around, so that seven mana for four counters is a worthy investment for this tree. How are you getting squirrels? Where did squirrels come from? I'm glad you asked, listener. <laughs> Two of my favorite spells to flashback are called Chatter of the Squirrel and Acorn Harvest. They're not very good, but they're Halloween-flavored. One of them has Harvest in the name. So we run the squirrel cards. Uh, both of these are just little sorceries that you can flash back for squirrels. They're very cute. Yep, they are very cute. Uh, yeah, my other two like really favorite use-these-cards-from-the-graveyard things are Persistent Specimen is a 1-mana one 1-1. One, one. You can pay 3-mana to put it from the graveyard onto the battlefield. Like over and over again. Mm -hmm. So that's a very powerful blocker. And Unwilling Ingredient is also a 1-mana one 1-1. One, one. You can pay 3-mana and exile it from the graveyard to draw a card and lose a life. So these are... like Usually when I decide that I'm going to build a graveyard deck, I'll, I'll do Scryfall searches for the keywords. I'll, I'll Scryfall search for Flashback, Unearth, Encore, Retrace, Jumpstart all of these different like specialized keywords. And when I do that, I'll miss little gems like unwilling ingredient and persistent yeah. specimen, which aren't keyworded in the same way that, you know, reinforce or scavenge or flashback on earth are. Uh, but they, they still do really important things in this deck. I'm going to do some unearthing as well. Rotting rats and first sphere gargantua are incredibly powerful cards to just mill into your graveyard and then use later for mm -hmm. crazy value. I'm going to get out of my graveyard Moldervine Cloak. So once I mill Moldervine Cloak, I'm going to dredge it, put it back into my hand, and then I'm going to cast it on a thick, angry tree <laughs> to give that tree plus yep. three, plus three. Talons of Wildwood is 
honestly a little wasted in this deck because one of the reasons Talons of Wildwood is very good, this is a, a creature enchantment aura that gives a creature plus one, plus one, and trample. The tree already tramples, so sure. eh, not great. But for three mana, you can return Talons of Wildwood from your graveyard to your hand. Sure. So if you mill that, it can go back in. This is, in a bizarre twist of fate, this is a Voltron, this is a green Voltron deck that doesn't run Rancor. Because yeah, and I was just thinking about that, because if you end up milling Rancor, you can't buy it back like you can Talons. That is exactly why this deck doesn't run Rancor. Hmm. Yeah. The other two reasons are, Rancor is good because if the creature it's on dies, you get Rancor back, but the tree never dies. So <laughs> that's not an issue. <laughs> Rancor is also good because it gives the thing trample, and the tree already tramples. So right. uh, lots, of, lots of things that are really, really great about Rancor just don't matter for this particular tree. Did I interrupt someone about to say something else at me? Mm -mm. No? Nope. Okay. Yeah, that's, uh, that's about it. I'm going to... Mostly, I'm going to play with cards that pull themselves out of the graveyard and try to use that after I put them into the graveyard with Mill. There's a very small suite of cards that will pull other things out of the graveyard. Things like Omen of the Dead. Again, it just fits perfectly into this delirium theme. Yeah. As an enchantment that sacrifices itself. It's it's making that spread of types perfect. It is binning itself in the yard when I'm done with it. Omen of the Dead is fantastic. Dig Up the Body, I think, is a really good way to sacrifice something if I don't need it. Mill a couple cards and put some creatures from my graveyard back into my hand. Uh, yeah, that's uh, Scare Tiller. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, may, I may have forgotten and to mention tiller. that. And Scare Tiller. <laughs> and yeah, for, for all those lands you milled. Yeah, the, the, this deck runs a lot of cycling lands, a lot of the sack lands. It's got Harrow. It's got lands that I can mill. Yeah. Getting those back into play with Scare Tiller is colossal. Yeah, yeah I was going to ask you about Dig Up the Body, actually. Um, I don't know if you've played with this exact version of the deck, but I was going to see how, how casualty the mechanic has treated you. I honestly have not yet drawn Dig Up the Body in this version sure. of the deck. Uh, Dig Up the Body's new enough, and I've played with this deck recently infrequently enough that I don't have any data on that. Uh, my Theoretically, I think it's going to be good. I think that even if I'm not hitting the casualty, it's still mill two cards and then get a creature back and i mm. want to be milling and uh, presumably there's a creature i might need it's possible that this is secretly not great for me because the in a deck with only 20 creature spells the odds that there are two in my graveyard that i really want are not great but that's a good point yeah i i want to experiment with it before i cut it for something else yeah i do love the casualty mechanic yeah as a new mechanic, it's pretty cool. I just, I don't know that I've really built anything with it yet. So, especially nothing like a graveyard deck. If I'm being very honest, I think that cards that are much, much better than Dig Up the Body are Eerie Soul Tender, because that's going to check a lot more boxes. It's a, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to mill me. Well, I guess Dig Up the Body also mills me. But Eerie Soul Tender is something that I can use from the graveyard. If it has been milled, I can still utilize it. Dig Up the Body yeah. doesn't do that. So like yeah. Eerie Soul Tender and Crawl from the Cellar are the two recursion spells that with, that you can use from the graveyard to get things back. Which means mm -hmm. that you, much like Dig Up the Body, you can use them twice. If they end up in your hand, well, I get, no. Eerie Soul Tender, you only get one use out of. Crawl from the Cellar, you can use twice if it ends up in your hand. Yeah. 
you can get the two creatures back just like dig up the body but it also works if you mill it so i think dig up the body is going to be adequate but it's worth experimenting with oh absolutely i agree i actually like your squirrels so i mean you're a voltron deck what do hexproof voltron decks get killed by <laughs> yeah uh-huh. you don't know what squirrels are good for Yep. <laughs> yeah, the the squirrels and the persistent specimen, the 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 skeleton, are really really good at making sure that I don't get blown out. This pilgrim's eye and skittering surveyor serve similar roles there. Good utility yeah. creatures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, hearing you talk about your deck, I actually was just kind of wrapping my head around the way autumnal gloom wants to shape its graveyard and how that compares to other graveyard decks. And I mm. realized that you're really not vulnerable to grave hate. So like comparing to more stereotypical Golgari decks, like I've got background with like Mulder Hulk and uh, Rot Widow Pack. So Mulder Hulk needs a high creature count in the graveyard and needs to maintain it. It gets completely blown out by a Bajuka Bog and it is out of the game. Uh, Rot Widow Pack is stockpiling uh, a bunch of resources in the grave to use later to fuel an ability. So if someone mm-hmm. wipes your grave, your potential for late game shenanigans goes down. It's yeah. not horrible, but it's hurt. Whereas I hadn't put together how narrow of a window it is for people to use grave hate on autumnal gloom before it transforms. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh yeah, like for someone sure. hits you with a bajuka box sixty percent of the way through the game and you don't care. Exactly. <laughs> like, uh, shucks, my acorn harvest. I guess I won't make squirrels anyway. <laughs> yeah, like this. I know. I know you actually. Oh, you don't have tortured existence in here. But not. this is a like this just feels like a tortured existence deck. Like half of the cards that are in here, I would I used to play in my sixty card tortured existence deck. And like, like Paul was saying, when you when people know you're on Tordex or when you're known as quote unquote a Tordex player, there's oh they make the joke, oh well, I guess I'll bring a relic of progenitus or wipe your graveyard and like Paul said, that doesn't matter. Like a well built deck like yours, like a good Tordex deck, it can recover from I, I've seen Tordex decks recover from two and three relics. Like they can just do that if if they're built well mm-hmm. enough. And that's that's the vibes I'm getting from your deck here. Yeah. Even if autumnal gloom is even if by some miracle they kill it and wipe the graveyard yeah i mean it's late game and it costs one black to mill <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah that's that's the thing you have to you have to simultaneously merc the hexproof tree and wipe the graveyard and then somehow prevent me from casting spending three mana for a or I guess five mana at that point. I'll spend five mana for my commander and then pour my other four mana into milling cards and you have to keep <laughs> me off of delirium like that. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, it it is fun. extremely <laughs> resilient. Yeah. Now, have you have you thought about, uh, granted, it's, its returns go down quite a bit in singleton as opposed to having three or four of them, but have you thought about Golgari Brown scale with the dredge uh, and the two life potential? I think it probably used to be in here and it got cut for one of the scavenge guys because I, okay. I wanted counters more than I wanted life gain. Mm, that's fair. That, that, that is fair. Yep. Cool. I think hey, that is my Q and A. Huh? Your Orzov is showing wanting more life gain. <laughs> I, I, so I, can't I do run... It, can't help it. Speaking of counters and dredge, I do run Shambling Shell. This is one of the... Mm-hmm. MVPs of the deck, partly because it's a plant zombie, which makes That's perfect the one that, sense. Uh, sacrifices itself to put a plus one plus one counter on something and Ex- has dredge. 
Yes. Yeah, dredge, yep. That's the one. Dredge three. That's good. Oh, I didn't remember it being so high. That's awesome. Yeah, dredge, dredge three. So it's going to mill me lots of stuff. Uh, it's going to sacrifice itself to put counters on the big tree. And it is a plant zombie, which is perfect for a Halloween-flavored tree deck. Oh, absolutely. You know, and it's dredge an is so... You know, it's so powerful. I don't know how many of our listeners have ever actually played with it, but like now that we have blood tokens, that one blood token is basically put three in your graveyard, you know, instead of drawing. Like Night's Whisper, all these different cards are so powerful with Dredge now. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I think that goes along with what you were saying, how it's sort of unassuming until you really start rocking with it. And then you're like, oh my God, this is this is really strong. Yeah. I think... If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, the reason that I'm not on the brown scale and the stinkweed imp is because I don't run discard outlets or sack outlets. Mm-hmm. And so and that's the reason I've cut a lot of dredge from Michael Gurry decks is because you only get them back in hand as often as you can get rid of them. So if you're yeah, doing yeah, a lot of self mill, sure. you just end up with the card back in hand, and then is it really a card that you want to be playing? And some of them aren't. Like Steakweed Imp is fantastic because A, the dredge number is so high, but it's also a pretty useful body, a death touch flying defender. Like throw that under a big green thing, use it to chump block a token. Like there's a lot yeah. of uses for its body that get it back into the yard bell. Mm-hmm. And that's not the case for a lot of the other dredge creatures. Mm-hmm. Agreed. If I was going to take this in a more Tordex, having discard engines, having sacrifice engines route, I would absolutely be on the dredge and the madness. But uh, there wasn't enough room for all of that with the mill and the delirium. Oh, and the Voltron. Yeah, I totally understand. But yeah, yeah. I, just, I, I totally get those vibes. It's, it's really cool. Good job. Thank you. Liam, how are you getting Gary and his, and his team back from the graveyard? Yeah. So for Pillar 2 of Gary, we are taking our gray arm out. So we are using a slew of instants and enchantments to really uh, reliably pull Gary from the graveyard, uh, either to our hand or to the field. There are dozens of these cards uh, throughout all of Magic. This has been an effect we've seen in black since the the dawn of the game. So really it was just choose your favorites, uh, choose what you have, choose you know what you're comfortable with, and just roll with that. In addition... Yep. Because these cards tend to be all over the place on the curve, you can really have any real combination of them just because the curve won't be too affected by it. So yeah, so the ones that I chose, for the instance, I chose uh, Corpse Chun and Death Denied, which I believe both of those get it uh, to your hand. And then I have a a bunch of cards that work only when Gary's already on the field. Uh, because they return him directly to the field uh, once once he, he dies. Uh, so these will be things like if your opponent points a removal spell at Gary or you sacrifice him to a stack outlet, these are effects you'll want to use. So those are uh, Fake Your Own Death, uh, Feign Death, Return to Action, Supernatural Stamina, and Undying Malice. These cards that grant the creature some variation of the ability when this creature dies at turn of the battlefield, untapped or tapped, maybe with a counter, who knows? Uh, they're just all recent designs that do that Mm -hmm. there is one card i included on this list Uh, it's called rotten reunion and it comes from midnight hunt i this card is is an interesting choice and i had to think about this for a second because i made this list in 15 minutes i was like what is this card doing here on the show notes (laughs) uh so i remember what this card is here for so it's a single black instant to exile up to one target card from a graveyard 
you can create a 2-2 black zombie creature token with Decayed, and then it has Flashback for one of the black. So this is playing kind of double duty. If in a pinch you need it, it is to save a stranded Gary. So your Gary has died unwillingly, and you know maybe an opponent took it out, or maybe an effect got countered, uh, and you now have a Gary in the graveyard that for some reason you did not put back into the command zone. By exiling Gary, you can choose to put it back in the command zone. It'll give you that chance to, to remake that choice. Uh, the flashback mm -hmm. is, is nice because it it can be used again, assuming it doesn't get removed from your graveyard or your graveyard doesn't get removed as a whole. Uh, but other than that, this is just really good graveyard hate as well, like single targeted hate. So it, it's doing a couple different things. It is a little specific, but I think the utility is definitely there for when you, you desperately need it. I'd never even thought about the possibility of someone countering your feign death. That is a terrifying yeah. prospect. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Moving on into... Every single time I square up against Gary, I'm thinking about countering the feign death. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you play blue? Uh, have I've you heard of uh, Bird I've seen it. <laughs> or Parcel Beast? I play blue Bird sometimes. horse. <laughs> Bird, Bird horse yep. is a thing. It's a red deck in disguise. <laughs> no, my secret! <laughs> All right, so moving on out of the instance, uh, moving into the enchantments, we have Kaya's Ghost Form, which I believe most people are familiar with that card. It enchants a creature or planeswalker, which good luck with that in this format. And when the enchanted permanent dies or is put into exile, return that card to the battlefield under your control. There is Omen of the Dead, which is a single black enchantment that you flash in, uh, and when it enters the battlefield, you return a target creature card from the graveyard to your hand. I like this one a lot because it just sits on the battlefield as a single devotion. And then if you really, 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 absolutely positively need to scry two, you can pay three mana and sacrifice it to do that. But it really is just a single black devotion that sits on the field and is a way to return Gary or some other creature you might need to your hand. Uh, there is Shades Form, which is a couple uh, different variations of this effect that uh, I have sitting in my maybe board. Uh, there's Shades board, uh, yes, Shades Form, uh, Unhallowed Pact, Unholy Indenture. There wasn't enough room for all of them, so I just chose Shades Form because it had the double uh, devotion and it has the extra mm -hmm. stapled ability on that if you if Shades Form for whatever reason wasn't on Gary, you know it, you can maybe pump up a creature. Uh, it just it's the most versatile of the three, so it's the one I chose. Yeah, for sure. And then tortured existence, because holy hell! <laughs> exactly. <laughs> this this card just I I I don't know. I you know old old R and D was smoking something. This card is is good. You know, it, so yeah, it should just it should just be in any black deck looking to mess with the graveyard of in, in some variety. Honestly. Yeah. I, I... Absolutely agree. And then my last uh, honorary enchantment, because it is a colored artifact, is Blood Fountain. It's a single black mana. When it uh, enters the battlefield, you create a blood token. And you can pay three and a black uh, and sacrifice the Blood Fountain. And you can return two target creatures from a graveyard to your hand. So again, just another like another like Omen of the, Omen of the Dead, I believe is the, the card name, where it just sits on the field. Uh, the blood token has other uh, has other utilization that I'll talk about later. Uh, we probably will not be sacrificing that blood token to its own ability, but 
the blood token has some utilization in the deck, plus that sacrifice ability is really good for if you're not drawing an instant sorceries to, to pull Gary back out of the yard, you can sacrifice the blood fountain to, to get it back. Yeah, that is all about how we're pulling Gary. We, we, we literally are just waiting for him to die to pull him back, whether instantaneously or through some other delayed effect. Yeah, I like it. It's pretty straightforward. I'm always looking for any excuse to play ghost form and yeah. fake your own death and feign death and all those cool ones. Yep. I, so much so that I even tried a tormented hero PDH deck. <laughs> it was terrible. But it was fun. <laughs> it was fun. I think a lot like uh, Alex, this deck is not really that vulnerable to grave hate like it can get hit with the anti-combo tech mm -hmm. like uh return to nature break ties honored heirloom sure. all the stuff that hits at instant speed but like things like bajuka bog like or at the very least people have to hold up mana for it like a combo deck yeah. it's not like mm -hmm. stockpiling stuff in the grave like minor brad's decks yeah 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 i think it's a pretty interesting take yeah all right paul what do you got for us all right, so getting stuff out of the grave. Much like Alcadrons, mine is mostly cards that get themselves out of the grave. So in the context of the whole deck's game plan, the important part of using the grave is maintaining cards in hand, and I'm using the cards I've discarded to just kind of keep myself in the game just long enough while keeping my hand full of the, of the pump spells and interaction that I need for the last turn and a half of the game. So all the cards that I'm looking to play from the deck are card draw, like think twice, uh, costs three flashback to draw a card, deep analysis, pay two, pay three life, pay two, and draw two cards to flash it back. Uh, Secrets of the key is like four and you investigate twice when you flash it back. Mm -hmm. And treasure cruise, just like delving away all the extra cards in my grave to draw three. So that's the main way I'm using my graveyard. And then on top of that, I've also got like Mnemonic Wall and Revolutionist to pull spells back from the graveyard. So, oh, I needed to counterspell in order to defend my commander from getting killed. Well, I'll just get that back and keep my hand full and save that counterspell for when I need it later. And then, so we've got some spells that play themselves, some creatures that return stuff from the grave. And then on top of that, there's also a little bit of a toolbox element to it. I've got Flaring Pain, which is one red to flash it back, and damage can't be prevented this turn. So I can use that to push through the last bit of commander damage to kill someone. But for the most part, it's discard fodder, and it's sitting there in my graveyard just in case I need it. Mm -hmm. And then another example, yeah, another example like that is Artful Dodge. My commander has flying. Usually I don't need extra evasion, but if I do need it, I can pay one blue and flashback Artful Dodge to make my commander unblockable until end of turn. So it's some creatures getting spells back, some spells replaying themselves, and the bonus for this on top card advantage is a little bit of toolboxiness. Um, some notable oddities uh, that play themselves from the grave are Vithian Stinger. It's a, a Tim, so it just like it's a creature. It taps to deal one damage to any target, and it has Unearth. So usually you want to play this and use it to take out tokens so there's nothing getting in the way of the commander. But in a pinch, when you need it, you can also discard it and just bring it back if you ever need to take out a one butt later. So it can kind of be played either way. It's just a really unique card that I've always enjoyed putting in decks that deal with the graveyard just in case. Because not everyone is averse to one butts like the pals are. 
some, <laughs> some people enjoy their one bucks. Yeah. Uh, and then the other oddity also dealing with one toughness creatures is Gouged Zealot. So it's a four drop creature with Delirium. And whenever it attacks, if you have Delirium, it'll deal one damage to all the creatures the defending player controls. So this is really an anti-token tool to make sure I can clear the skies and make sure my commander can get through in the late game. Yep. And it's just, that's one of the very few cards that really needs me to keep a stocked graveyard. And it's awkward to keep stocked because of escape, delve, and stuff like that. But yeah. it's just so worth it when it hits. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I think so a lot of people also... Gouge Zealot is so cool. Like, it's a very underplayed card, and I think a lot of people don't appreciate the you know, putting Death Touch on this creature. <laughs> I mean, you're just wiping the board every turn, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have a way to put Death Touch on sure, it. But sure, sure, sure. This is the first deck where I've really been able to put it to work, and in one of the test games, like I was able to wipe out like four tokens. Oh, that, yeah, I believe that, it. That helped me push to the win, and it was perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but Battle Screech can get wrecked. <laughs> Gouging Zealots yeah. on incoming. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, I, one of the things you mentioned with um, keeping a stocked graveyard for Delirium can be a challenge when you're playing a deck that's using its graveyard as a resource. So yeah. and. Thankfully, because I have so many spells that are flashback, and there's actually fairly few, there's like two delve cards and two escape cards I'm running. So there's not that much stuff eating my graveyard, usually. Yeah. So the odds of having those cards eating my graveyard and this being the turn, and this being the game where I have Gouge Zealot, and it being a game where I also need Gouge Zealot, it would just be once in a blue moon that that would get in each other's way. Right, right. This is this is using the graveyard as a resource in two very different and contradictory ways that hopefully mm. won't ever overlap in the same game and cause a problem. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It's it's a thing to look out for with autumnal gloom as well because like if if someone manages to kill the tree and you're recasting it and you need to hit delirium again, like it's possible that you've just like burned all of the sorceries in your graveyard with flashback and now you're just yeah. sitting there like wait, hold on, <laughs> it doesn't flip anymore. But I. Uh, you you can just mill out and have it flip itself. Same yeah. with the dragon. Mm-hmm. I imagine you can just keep looting things. Like because the, well, the dragon lets you choose, so you can be like, oh, I I I lost my sorcery. I better discard flaring pain. But at the <laughs> right? same time, like, <laughs> it doesn't actually work as well because I'm doing it so slowly. Like if someone wipes mm. my graveyard, or if I eat right. my graveyard and unexpectedly need it, like it takes. So even if I had, like, say, an instant and a sorcery in my graveyard, I would still have to spend at least two turns attacking to restock the yard. Right, right. So yeah, if if you if you get, like, Bajuka bogged, then... Four turns. Reestablishing Delirium will be a challenge for you. Yep. But if you, if you lose your own Delirium because you flashed back your last instant and it went to exile instead... Then it's a little easier, yeah. 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 Uh, I actually, one of my test games, I did get hit with Grave Hate, like the, just wiped the whole graveyard. And the main just impact was I lost my stockpile, so it just impacted my ability to keep my hand full. And I did kind of run out of gas at the end of the game. Like I needed the extra two spells worth of whatever I had stockpiled in my grave to help push through. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's the same way Brad's would kind of work is... He's not going to be put out of the game completely like a Molder Hulk that needs like a high count continuously, but it's right. just going to make it harder to push through the end game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You're just going to have to grind a little harder. I think that puts a close on Pillar 2. Let's move down to Pillar 3. 
I'll start with Necropanther's way to don't die slash control. So I need to figure out how I'm going to keep my creatures alive, keep myself alive in the process. And since I'm not running, well, I'm running a few specific protection spells, but most of my creature protection is going to come in the form of one of the thing white does best, and that is flicker spells. Whether it's acrobatic maneuver, cloud shift, that sort of thing, ephemerate, <clears throat> I'm going to be able to flicker those creatures, keep them out of harm's way, you know, declare them as a blocker, flicker them, hopefully get an ETB of drawing a card, maybe gaining a little life, maybe maybe milling or discarding, that sort of thing. That's how I'm going to attempt to keep my creatures alive. Same with the um, commander. And then specifically for like the commander or more... Uh, let's see, more late game threats that I want to keep alive. I have specific things like Kamiya False Hope, which I can continually get back with my commander, with Tethmos High Priest, with Unearth, that sort of thing. Uh, I included Darkness, the Black Fog that just saw a much-needed reprint. I have Loyal Sentry in here for protection, which also works great as removal. It works awesome with flickers, that sort of thing. And then Benevolent Bodyguard as well. So that's how I'm going to try to keep my creatures alive therefore sort of keeping me alive. Also to keep myself alive, I had to include some life gain, which is definitely on brand with me, which comes in the form of an extort package, the extort creatures, syndic enforcer, basilica creature, that sort of thing, tithe drinker, yada, yada, yada. So I would like to keep them alive as long as possible, which, you know, that's where the Kamiya false hope, the darkness, all these flicker effects come into play is keeping them on board as long as possible and being able to trigger their, their extort um, ability. So That'd be nice for me. That's what I'm trying to do. And those creatures are small enough that I can get them back if they die. You know, I can get them back with Necropanther, with High Priest, all that good stuff. So in a way, my flickers and everything else are sort of designed to keep my creatures alive at the same time as keeping me alive. There's, I'm trying to make it to where there's not one or the other. Like It's supposed to kind of work as this whole terrible team, and I hope that it does. And then like Liam's deck too, I'm running some some feign death effects, demonic gifts, that sort of thing. And then I also have the background, the Scion of Hollister and Tortured Existence, which they should be hard to deal with. Enchantments aren't that easy to kill. Not a lot of people run main deck enchantment hate. So that's always going to be a good way to get my creatures back if they end up dying. So that shouldn't be, or fill my graveyard and then get my creatures back when they die. So that shouldn't be too bad. And then hopefully, if all that is running well, my early game, my early and mid game is going to kind of be a lot of hand disruption with your Tasker's Cruelties, Mind Rakes, Siphon Mind, Cavern Whisperer, Virus Beetle, all these discard effects that, you know, there's only a couple in there that hit me, and that's okay. Sometimes I want to discard cards as well, but most of it's going to hit the table. And if I can slow down, if I can expend their resources, slow them down, that just gives me a leg up because I don't care what format you're playing. Orzov is going to grind. Orzov is going to take a long time to beat you. And that's just pretty much how it is for the most part. So I'm hoping to control the board with hand disruption. Use my extort creatures to keep me alive. Use my flickers and that sort of thing. My loyal guardians, uh, loyal sentries, benevolent bodyguard, all that sort of kind of stuff to keep my bigger threats, my bigger creatures alive. And then... Worst comes to the worst, I have Unearth and like Tortured Existence to get them back with High Priest and that sort of thing. So in my mind, it's this whole this whole team, this whole Venn diagram that's sort of coming together and making this central, like awesome deck. 
but in reality, it may be trying to do too many things at once, which I definitely have that problem when I brew decks. But in my head, it works, and I'm definitely going to give it a run to see how it works. So I'll throw it at the table. What do you guys think? Do you think there's too much going on here, or you know, am I splashing too much? Am I sprinkling too many different things in? Have I, have I, have I lost focus? <laughs> I think you have the same issue that I'll get to in my deck, where it's just this is the weak pillar, and it's because of just the fundamental cards that the deck wants to be using every card you focus on defense is a card you aren't able to put in your grave like sure you want to have a good density of your small creatures so that you have a toolbox that you can pull back and every good removal spell good life gain spell is making your deck a little less toolboxy so it's yep. like just in deck construction you're pulled in a very different direction whereas yeah. like alk has you know piled more stuff on the tree and if he needs to get defensive for a turn he just doesn't attack and he has a giant tree defending him mm -hmm. i don't understand Whereas me i'm focusing on spells you're focusing on small creatures we don't have the built-in stuff to defend us as quite as well you, right. you completely lost me at the idea of not attacking i'm not i didn't follow <laughs> is that that's an option for some hmm sounds fake it's a <laughs> fake news let me let me talk to the rules committee about this. I, this doesn't this doesn't sound right, but um, I would I would bring it up. Yeah, that sounds like a hot button issue to me. New rule in PDH: everyone must attack with at least one creature every turn. If every able. turn, <laughs> we we just got that commander, the the Herald of Slanish something. Oh yeah yeah, I I saw that and instantly thought of the pals. That looks right up their alley. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a good time. Oh Dave, I know you got a pillar three. What do you got? Oh, uh, I have. I, I don't have a, a very robust Pillar 3, but there's a couple cards in specific that I want to talk about a lot. So my control suite, my the, the ways that I'm going to try to not die, a lot of this comes from the Pillar 2, the cards I'm going to use from the graveyard. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have Crippling Fatigue, which is a terrible removal spell with flashback. <laughs> I have Chainer's Edict, which is a great removal spell with an overcosted flashback. Those are the two really big ones. The other cards that I'm really, really proud of in this particular removal suite are Lignify. The reason I'm in love with Lignify is it's tree-flavored removal for the tree-flavored deck. And more than that, it has an extra type. Lignify yes. is a tribal enchantment. And tribal, as a card type, counts toward delirium. It sure does. really does. There is a second tree-flavored tribal removal spell in the form of Root Grapple. Root Grapple is a five-mana tribal treefolk instant for destroy target non-creature permanent. Uh, this can mark lands, uh, enchantments, artifacts, whatever you want. Planeswalkers? Planeswalkers, yeah. Excuse this, me say that. No, notably, this comes from the set that introduced Planeswalkers to the game. Yep. And if you control a treefolk, draw a card. And my commander's a tree folk, so I'm probably going to draw that card. Yeah. Um, there is a third piece of tribal removal. It is not tree flavored. The third one is elf flavored. It is eye blights ending, three mana instant for destroy target non elf creature, but it still has these two types in the graveyard. It is a tribal and an instant, so it's going to help out with delirium a lot. Aside from that, I have a weird mix of. Uh, I have a couple of removal spells that are like look a little odd, like Silvak Replica 
is a three mana artifact creature that you can sacrifice to destroy an artifact or enchantment. And that's in there just because uh, it has two types. It's an artifact and a creature. It's going to help me out with Delirium. Uh, and it can get rid of Righteous Auras. Because Righteous Aura is a huge problem for this deck. <laughs> Circle of Protection <laughs> Green just shuts me down. Just shut you down. <laughs> <laughs> so I need definitely need good ways to get uh, to get rid of artifacts or enchantments. The rest is pretty standard. Return to Nature, Murder, Crypt Rats, Pestilence, uh, Feed the Swarm is fantastic for me. Wickerbaw Elder is a mm-hmm. tree that does the thing. Yep, does good things. Yeah, just good good cards. So there's this. I think I think this is a great deck for me to talk about in the the aftermath of our staples episode because I, I I feel like Feed the Swarm and Murder are staples. Murder is sure. one that I've mentioned a, a handful of times last week. Uh, but they're staples in the way that, like, I do. I am running a couple of these high power staples, and I'm running a big suite of like weird cards that are ostensibly much, much worse at at the removal thing, but they fit the the deck's plan much better. So I'm glad yeah. that I get to say that and call back to last week. Yeah. Yeah. Not not a ton to talk about here. I like the tribal stuff, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about. I think I actually have crypt rats in my deck i didn't yeah. want to add pestilence that seems a little too much i'm even kind of sketched out with crypt rats just because so many of my creatures have small butts like <laughs> I, I would hate to like wipe them out with crypt rats and then spend another turn getting them back when i didn't need to in the first place sort of thing but i definitely wanted something to fall back on that's why i put crypt rats in there but i, th- I think it works great in, in golgari mm-hmm. yeah i could see I could see with uh, just the weenies just coming up a few life short and pestilence or crypt rats closing out the game. For That's you. true. Yeah, they because it very well could be a closer. Off, so I hadn't thought about it that life way. Gain potential than most others. Yeah, I think nice. they're powerful. I th- crypt rats at least absolutely should be in your deck because it's something that yeah, Necro Panther can can put back into play when you need it. Pestilence is. Probably a strong include, but excluding it is also very defensible. So, that's, yeah. Uh... All right, Liam. How does uh, how does Gary keep you alive? Keeping Gary alive is as simple as putting your gray arm in, uh, and this is with just some good old mono black control. There's nothing really special to this 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 task. Naming the 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 most common stuff, it's going to be uh, pestilence and crypt rats to keep the board clear. Oubliette maybe shut down an opposing uh, Dave's Commander, snuff out Vendetta, Defile, now go for the throat, just stuff like that to, that, that are really common, really uh, yeah, tried and true removal spells. Uh, we got Six-Sided Die, the, the new card uh, that I really like from Unfinity is in this list, because why not? Tordex is, Tordex is a really good card to... Uh, keep you alive as you can as you're drawing creatures you may not need you may uh be able to buy back some creatures you've already used uh and yeah that's how we're keeping control of the board no fuss no must just straight up mono black control i love it exactly i mean gaining 45 plus life in a game is also a pretty (laughs) good way to stay alive well, that is that is one game. Oh, that's, that's one strategy. That that is part of the next pillar of, of advantage is life gain. Nice. <laughs> so I know is it? I right. know the Yargle Dragons probably got some some control, some ways to stay alive. Uh, what do you got for us? Less than I'd like, actually. So 
in order to make room for all the things that play from the yard, the little bit of ramp the deck needs to be able to pay high flashback cards, uh, just things that try to eke out a little more card advantage, I actually ended up cutting a lot more of the control elements of the deck, and it really hurts, and I'm hoping that I can find some better cards over the course of the next year or two as we get new sets that I'll be able to work some of more of the control back in. Mm-hmm. Like some of the like the Red Escape Hound is something that right now I have it in there trying to have a little bit more offensive oomph in the deck just to be able to work against life gain. But if I could get another escape control spell like some uh, or like a really good retrace reusable control spell i would slot that in in a heartbeat over more board presence so oh sure i have less than i'd like like i have a moderate control suite i have 15 cards right now that are removal um some of them are just like mana efficient stuff that's like counter spell mana leak uh some of it is things that needs a moderately stocked graveyard i've got spontaneous mutation which is just a one drop blue aura that gives the enchanted creature minus x minus zero uh, where x is the number of cards in my graveyard and really that's in there just because of the one mana cost that's like the last two turns of the game there's something big and scary but i Mm -hmm. also need to deal with the other two players so it's in there specifically because it's so cheap and efficient but it's also pretty like niche in i have to have it set up and it still can't completely lock down a too big of a creature and they can still block with that creature so i've i've got some cut corners where i've got very specific use in mind and i'm trying to make the spell suite match that uh some of the other removal spells i've got are like mag uh, magmatic sinkhole which is another delve card uh five and a red with delve in order to deal five damage to any target it's an instant mm-hmm. or no just a creature or planeswalker yeah, yeah 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 so and then alchemist greeting is a madness card that the madness cost is two and it's four damage to target creature so once again trying to be very mana efficient so that i can rapidly drop three four spells in the late game and in order to do that i'm playing with a little more niche stuff but still using the graveyard left right and center sure so it matches the theme i just wish i could find ways to strengthen it a bit more um in other kinds of removal i've got are just the flashback spells we talked about before i've got silent departure fire firebolt i've got uh, escape card sleep of the dead uh, me and alk were talking about this before the show started and i still haven't drawn it but it's <laughs> able to tap down opposing creatures and escape means i can do it again and again and again so long as i have stuff to exile from my grave and to me that has so much potential for keeping like if I can get the game down to a one v one, and I can just lock down their one remaining threat while I just beat them to death in the sky with my commander. Mm-hmm. So it seems absolutely perfect. I just haven't been able to draw it yet. Um, and then what this deck struggles in is I've got my commander. It's a moderately sized body, and I need to keep attacking in order to do my triggers with it. So I don't have a whole lot of board presence, and that's where this deck really struggles. So the few cards that I have trying to fill that niche are things like Arcbound Tracker, Spellgorger Weird, Pyroceratops. They all have effects that are like 
whenever you play a non-creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Or whenever you play your second spell of the turn, put a plus one plus one counter on it. So one of the aspects of playing with the graveyard is when you're doing all these flashback spells, it actually makes you pretty okay at doing double spelling without completely emptying your hand. And yeah, that's I like kind of that. why I've got Arcbound Tracker in there is to take advantage of that trend. So that's I've got those plus one plus one counter accumulating creatures to try to stabilize the board. Like looking at them when I first put them in, it was supposed to be offensive, but after having played with the deck, they're really needed defensively. Yeah, I I, I like your um the way your your is it deck is sort of using the graveyard here. It's almost like a second hand, if you will. Mm-hmm. Like you're able to pick up what you want, cast what you want delve away what you don't want whereas the more toolboxy golgari or even this orzov deck that i'm brewing is very we're using the whole thing as one where you're you're more selective about what you're trying to do which which i like that approach yeah and really the struggle this deck has is having the mana to afford those flashback costs that's the biggest struggle i've had is trying to find room for not just more removal but also just a few more pieces of ramp sure yeah, I've always struggled with with is it and ramp, also. So yeah, that's what I've got for that pillar. As a uh, Azra oddsmaker enthusiast and general purpose slut for madness, I <laughs> deeply appreciate slut your for madness. That's that's me, <laughs> egregious and unrepentant. Uh, I I really just love the alchemist retrieval in this deck. I I wish that card went into more decks because I love it. Not sorry, not retrieval. Greeting. Alchemist greeting. Alchemist greeting. Yeah. yeah. So good. So I have both that and Fiery Temper in there. Fiery Temper is the one mana uh, three damage one. And it's been surprising to me how many times I wish Fiery Temper was Alchemist greeting. Like I needed the extra sure. one damage because the whole purpose of it is there's something scary looking at me and it has a big butt. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's that scary, it's butt is probably bigger than three. Yep. Yeah, there's yeah. there've been a handful of decks where I've I've tried to squeeze in the little, you know, the is it madness package as much as possible and I end up like and I end up realizing that this this isn't good without the discard outlet and the discard outlet isn't consistent or reliable and I need to mm-hmm. just cut Alchemist's greeting and that makes me sad, but I, I Yeah. I love it in the Log Dragon. Yep, I do too. All right. Fourth and final pill final pillar coming up. We're gonna talk about how do we take these out for a spin without running out of gas? Well, mine is pretty straightforward. Orzov doesn't typically go fast. It just goes. Like once you hit the gas, you almost immediately go into cruise control and you just go until you either run out of gas or you win. That's pretty much what Orzov does. So most of my gas is going to come from card advantage in the form of initiative. That's going to be very helpful in a deck like this. And like I said earlier, hard these hard-to-kill enchantments like Cyan of Hollister and Tordex are super slow, but they can get you to where you're going if left unchecked. If, if your opponents don't kill you first, you will rebuild thanks to those two enchantments. And then I'm going to rely a lot on ETB creatures drawing me cards like Spirited Companion, Priest of Ancient Lore, that sort of thing. Siphon Mine for a little bit of control, but mainly hopefully to draw two or three cards at once. Uh, point of discussion because that will also work with discard theme give me some blood tokens that sort of thing and then honestly my my gas is going to be in the form of life gain it's going to be gary and it's going to be extort and just because i have faith that i can continually have creatures on my board that can attack or at least can block for me 
I, I'm relying on Gary and Extort to pretty much hold me over until I'm I'm the last one at the table, basically. So it's going to be a grind fest. Like, there's no, this is probably not a 10-turn deck. <laughs> you know, we're probably looking at a couple dozen turns here before this Orzov deck wins because it is slow. Because even, you know, the mutate cost is four, five, six, you know, it gets up there. So even mutating my commander to get one creature back is going to be an entire turn. Like, I better have plans for what I'm going to do when I untap or what can I do during my opponent's turns because oftentimes it's going to be that entire turn to get my Crypt Rats back or get my Children of Corliss back or what have you. So it's a, it's a big investment to constantly try to reanimate with my commander. That's why I'm hoping that like High Priest does a lot of the heavy lifting too with so many cheap creatures. Uh, at least with Tethmost Teth High Priest on board, I can theoretically bring back two creatures a turn maybe three creatures a turn in the late game and that'll be huge but kind of along the lines of what paul was saying earlier in the late game if i'm bringing three creatures back like reanimating directly to the battlefield three creatures on turn 10 they're probably you know with tethmos high priest they're probably one ones two twos two threes those aren't going to do much for me on turn 10 when i'm facing down gigantic creatures or or dave's you know 10 10 hexproof trample like my one one's not going to do much i might be able to fog but then what happens if i can't reanimate him next turn i'm kind of screwed so i'm hoping that gary can get me there and that extort can get me there and all these creatures just sort of generate their own value enough to keep me alive while while i do my thing i'm hoping that when you fog paul hits it with the flaring pain <laughs> I want nothing more. I have, in my whole PH career, I love Flaring Pain, but I have not used it yet. Like, I haven't actually deployed it. It's really so much yeah. fun when it works. It when is someone... satisfying. It it's is super satisfying. It's because I personally don't use Fogs in my decks very much. Right. Um, if I, mean, I were, if nice I were is... to go play with the Pals, I'm sure I would get to use it within the first few games. Someone will, someone will cast a Riot Control. <laughs> with a with a smug look on their face, and you will just slam their entire person in the dumpster. Well, and they would, uh, still, soul. They would yeah. still gain life, though, right? So I yeah. would have to do it with commander damage. Yeah, but I mean that. that or does. someone, you know, you hit their prismatic strands with it. It's so oh, nice. Feels good. <laughs> feels real good. <laughs> but yeah, that's my pillar four. Hopefully, I can just keep. At the, at the end of the day, I hope I gain one more life than everyone else. What do you got, Dave? How are what is yeah, how, how are you keeping gas in the tank? I just did a uh, a search. The, the the deck is on Moxfield, it has this highlighter function. I just did a search of all of the cards in my deck with the, that include the word draw. There are five. Four of them are just cantrips. There's my deck includes exactly one source of repeatable card draw. It's uh Snake Umbra. And that's that's the only way I'm going to keep drawing cards. And that's okay. The beautiful thing about a graveyard deck, and the, the reason that we changed the pillar away from, like, how are you going to draw cards so that you still have stuff to cast in your hand in the late game? We changed mm -hmm. that into how are you going to still be able to cast spells in the late game is I'm going to mill cards into my graveyard. I'm going to cast them from the graveyard. That's That's the whole plan. That's the value engine. That is the nature of the grind itself. We're just going to go hard on 
using all of the cards from the graveyard to keep yourselves relevant in the late game. And uh, mm-hmm. I've already talked about that at great length. So I have nothing meaningful to add. Yeah. Except Snake Umbra. I will just give you props here. I didn't. I have never used that highlighter feature on Moxfield. Oh, that's really nice. That is super cool. <laughs> yeah. And and technically, I lied. There are thirteen cards that include the word draw. It's just that five of them or seven of them are cyclers, and two of them are dredgers. Three of them are dredgers. Mm-hmm. So like those aren't actually card advantage. It's just <laughs> an option you have. So I, I right. had to. I, I highlighted the ones that said draw, and I still had to look through those and be like, wait, no, not you, not you, not you. So, yeah, I can't, there's there's five cards. Four of yeah. them cantrip, and one of them is Snake Umbra. Snake Umbra's very good, though. Well, just in true Golgari fashion, there's just not a lot of gas. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, it doesn't need it. There, there is, but it's not like traditional gas. Right. You know, you're not going fast. You're not, you're just constantly churning. That big engine is just constantly moving. I, I feel like more than any other deck we're talking about tonight. Uh, that tree folk has a ton of inevitability. Yeah. Yes. Like it's... there's no there's no tricks. There's no consistently using resources. You get the thing on the board and it never goes away. Yeah. Right. It's, it's coming for you. So that, there are actually there, there's a there's a category on my list that's called tricks, and it is uh, the the way that people will try to mark the tree folk is they'll come up with some sort of death touch blocker. Or they'll be like, I block with all seven of my creatures. Is that enough to kill it? <laughs> and like when that happens, you just go, Oh, cool, I cast Necrobite. I give it That one gives lifelink too, doesn't it? it death touch. What am I oh, thinking of? One that's like um regenerate and lifelink as well. Uh I don't know that one. I'll figure it out. But yeah, there's t- turns out there's like there's four or five different cards that will protect the tree and also give it death touch at the same time. Mm-hmm. And like that's just really gross when someone is oh, like... And you're playing Infuse with Vitality. I love yeah. that card so much. That's one love of them. So yeah, it gives a death touch. And this this is the weird one because it doesn't... It, the, the tree will die and then it will come back as the enchantment. And you can mill a bunch and then it'll flip. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that that's the trick. But yeah, I, I think that Paul is correct. This deck has a lot of inevitability built in. Uh, mm-hmm. you, when you see it coming, you're, there's, there's not a lot you can do to stop it except race yeah and it's one of those too like if you you know you cast your commander your your autumnal gloom at the first possible chance and your opponents need to start thinking right then and there how they're going to deal with that creature yeah you know it's not like oh well later on whenever it flips it's fine no like no they need to have <laughs> a plan right then and there for when that eight eight trample is going to start coming at them yeah once so it flips the, it's too late yeah i found the cards i was looking for so rush of vitality gives plus one zero lifelink and indestructible it's a two drop black instant oh and yeah then, that's fun. there you go and then butcher's glee is a three drop instant that gives plus three plus zero lifelink and regenerates those are not currently in the deck but maybe they should be that could be a lot oh. of life you gain <laughs> yeah yeah that's a lot of life gain i will i will think about these things <laughs> um <laughs> i'll think about these things that you've mentioned i guess the, the final thought on the the autumnal gloom deck is like it, you could find a home within this deck for Knight's Whispers and your Sign and Bloods and your Read the Bones. Sure. I think that the deck just categorically doesn't need that boost. I think that it has plenty of things. Every time I've played it, like I've never run out of things to do. I've always, you know, I, I go into turn eight and turn nine with six different options of things that I could spend my mana on. So, like, that's not a problem. 
and also like the the things that are giving it its tiny little boosts of card advantage like unwilling ingredient and first sphere gargantua these are things that unlike sign and blood read the bones these are things that you can use from the graveyard after you mill them so i think they're better for this deck this is a good so I've got a gameplay question, actually. When you're yeah. in the late game and you're looking at all those options and you reach someone's instep and you still have mana up, you haven't had to use your tricks, do you spend more to keep milling yourself to keep looking for toolbox options in the grave? Or is there a, a point where enough is enough? So in, in the late game, you kind of lose the ability to spend mana to mill. Oh, that's right, because it's already transformed. It's already a tree. So uh, if you have some of like the, the Grizzly Salvage, Absolutely. You you uh, end of a turn cycle. You hit the Grizzly Salvage at instant speed to put a lot of stuff into your grave. Jet, like if someone mercs the tree, and you you have to recast it as an enchantment, then then yeah, absolutely. Every possible opportunity, you just put cards into your graveyard and hope that they're good there. Even if you've already got Delirium. Okay. Yeah, I would. Yeah, because that that's the resource of the deck. Like I can't draw cards, but I mean, if if one fifth of the deck can be utilized from the graveyard and you mill five cards then then you've drawn a card yeah i mean we've got all these different sources of people drawn it's like four is like the minimum we get usually so five to draw a card and it's stable to your commander not bad not bad yeah not bad all right liam i hear gary's got gas what's he got yeah so gary's gas is built into the life gain and life loss synergies that come naturally with playing a Gary over and over and over again. <laughs> As Paul was hinting at earlier, uh, with the life gain, we're leaning into a lot of those those cards that like that. So that's Epicure of Blood and Marauding Blight Priest. Both read uh, whenever you gain life, each opponent loses one. Uh, and then we have some ways to gain life. So Falconrath Noble, uh, Death Greedle, like creatures dying to gain you some life. Christine Talisman is a, is a really good mana rock for this deck. Uh, yeah, it makes a colorless, but it also just gains you uh, incident, incidental life. Your land base supports your life gain. So that's uh, Radiant Fountain, Sphere Sanctuary, uh, the Glimmer Post, and the Capenna uh, Wildlands. They're not necessary for the deck to function well, uh, but when it just feels good when they come down on your life gain synergies. Uh, and it doesn't really hurt the deck either to necessarily. Bushmeat Poacher, as I mentioned earlier, the stack out for Gary lets you gain some life. And ill-gotten inheritance is just a really good way throughout the whole game to be slowly draining your opponents uh, without them really realizing what's going on there. Uh, and then there's some classic sacrifice value. Uh, so the, this will be uh, like Altars Reap, Reckoner's Bargain, Village Rights kind of stuff where you're sacrificing some of your blood tokens that might be sitting around uh, mm -hmm. or maybe some creatures like, like Gary to just get some uh, real quick card draw. Other Gary value uh, advantage advantages come from uh, cards like Altar of the Pantheon, which I discovered Spicy. that was a common, not an uncommon, just permanently <laughs> increases your devotion by one. And then other value in the deck includes uh, Bonda's Ornament, Honored Heirloom, and I like to pick from Network Terminal because it synergizes really well with your blood tokens uh, from Points of Discussion or Blood Fountain, or the food token from Foreboding Fruit. Uh, other draw spells in the deck that just make random uh, artifact tokens that just sit around until you uh, last minute need them. Mm -hmm. Network Terminal works really well with those. And then there's Trailblazer's sure. Torch to just uh on that initiative in there some more. Yeah, that's how we're gaining advantage in this deck. We're just looking to gain some life and draw some cards. Pretty straightforward, yeah. mono black. 
once again, you nailed it with the mono black shenanigans. Yeah. Your strategies, you know, it's unique and it's interesting, but, you know, you've approached it in such a way that I think is correct for mono black. Like, you don't have to get deep. You don't have to go yep. 30 years back and find cards that no one's ever heard of. You know, you don't have to do all this crazy stuff. Like, mono black just has good cards, yep. <laughs> you know, and when they're piled on top of each other, they can make a good deck. And I think yep. this. 100%. The way Liam's talked through the whole deck really does emphasize like why uh, mono black in Popper and in and Gary and Popper Commander are such solid decks. Gary synergizes with everything Black wants to do. Everything. So, like most decks, you know, you find the two or three cards that are perfect that fit with all the things you're trying to do. But everything that Mono Black has that's powerful from the last two decades synergizes with Gary. Mm-hmm. Yep. 100%. Excellent work. Yep. Great work. All right, Paul. Pillar four. What do you got for us? I know blue and red, they, they usually have a full tank of gas at all times, it feels like. So I've already gone over a lot of the like granular stuff that's like eking out advantage here and there. Play this from my graveyard, uh, delve away this to draw three cards. Like I've already kind of covered that. So what I thought I'd go over was the much bigger sources here at the end. So I'll mention Scarecrow. Scare the scare tiller earlier. So that is a massive source of gas for this deck, not just because of lands, but with a discard commander, every single land I draw, I'm not going to play it for my one land for turn. I'm going to discard it with my commander and then scare 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 tiller is going to be putting it into play. So every single land is a draw. Every single every single scare tiller trigger is another draw, so that's a massive source of card draw that will make me a lot more able to fight people off, to ramp into the late game, to have all the mana I want. Um, another that's one source of card advantage. The biggest combo in the deck, though, combines creatures that deal damage to all my opponents with triggered abilities that say whenever this creature deals damage to a player or to an opponent draw a card so i've got thermo alchemist kessig flame breather fuming effigy uh, several different creatures that whenever something happens whether it's casting an incident or sorcery or a card leaving my graveyard and when those things happen they can untap or deal damage to everyone so mm -hmm. combining those with i've got ophidian eye and tandem lookout so Ophidian Eye is an aura, and then Tandem Lookout is a soul bond creature, and they give these damage-dealing creatures the ability whenever they deal damage to a player, you draw a card. So if they're dealing damage to all three of your opponents, well, you just drew three cards. And in addition to that, so that gives a ton of card draw. I only need that online for like two turns, and I'm set. But in addition to those, there's also Vigil of Sleep that instead of drawing a card, it's an aura that says whenever that creature deals damage to a player, you can return a creature they control to their hand. So I actually got this one online in one of my test games. And in one turn, using Firebrand Archer, so whenever you cast a non-creature spell, one damage to each opponent. I slapped Sigil of Sleep on there and was able to play three other non-creature spells that turn so i bounced a total of nine creatures in a single round and that 
almost carried me to victory, but then I'm arch enemy and got killed. What can you do? <laughs> yeah, that'll happen. So a good those are those are the biggest engines that can just really drive me ahead in a game. And as kind of backups to that, I've also got uh, Vithian Stinger, the Tim I mentioned earlier that can unearth itself. If mm -hmm. it's just sitting in play permanently, it can just deal damage one damage to any target. So you can also slap these draw or bounce effects on it. It's not as good as doing it three times in a turn, but one right. time in a turn over several turns is still a lot of advantage. So that's one backup. And it's overlapping with the grave theme because he can unearth himself. But the other uh, notable backup is Expendable Lackey. So it's a card from uh, Streets of New Capena. This is normally just discard fodder. You'll ditch him to the Lock Dragon whenever you have a chance because you never want to play him. But you can exile him. <laughs> He's just a vanilla creature normally. But you can exile him from your graveyard and you get an unblockable 1-1. One -one. So slap Tandem Lookout's ability on that or a Fiddy and I. And that's just another continuous source of card draw. That is gas right there. Yep. So that's what I've got. They... Looking at this list, you're... it looks fairly small. It's a handful, like six, seven things, six, seven creatures that can really drive the deck forward. So normally that wouldn't be quite enough in a deck like, say, Autumnal Gloom. Like, when are you going to really draw into those? Not very often. But... Right. That's the beauty of having a rummaging engine going every turn, is I'm drawing six cards deeper into my deck every game. So I'm actually fairly likely to find these. Yeah, I would think so. It, You know, you're utilizing the graveyard and, and all this other stuff, and, you know, my deck and Dave's deck and Liam's deck, they're all what you think of when you think of a graveyard deck as far as, like, speed goes. Like, we're pretty slow decks. Like, we grind it out. We're probably going to go into the later turns and hopefully pull the game, you know, pull away with a victory. But, like... Yours utilizes the, in typical is it fashion, it'll use the, utilize the graveyard very quickly. Like I could see uh, Lock Dragon being a quick game. It can go into the long game, mid game. Like it can kind of, going back to that toolbox aspect of the graveyard, it can just kind of be whatever you need the deck to be in any given situation. So actually what I've found is that unless you have a very life gain focused deck the even just the three to five damage from lock dragon attacking you know strap a bone splitter to it so it's got five power that bit of That's consistent damage, kill well not even it consistently killing but it just like brings life totals down around the table consistently enough that tables that games don't tend to go that long like mm -hmm. they aren't going past turn nine or ten right I think that's a pretty interesting take on it because you are you are graveyard focused, but you're still spell slinging. Like it was a very nice combination of both of them. Yeah, and right now a lot of the spells cast from the graveyard really they've been power corrupt a little bit. Like if you look oh, at sure. all the stuff from New Capana, like all the things you're exiling from the yard, it's mostly creatures. So we've gotten a fair bit of upgraded stuff to do with creatures in the yard and playing them from the yard and the escape creatures. But is it doesn't do really defense with those as much? Like Sleep of the Dead is the only example of a more modern one 
that actually interacts with the board and plays itself from the yard in it colors. So I'm really hoping that we do get a little bit more of an updated power curve for graveyard play that isn't to do with creatures. And I think that'll really bump this deck up a good bit. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. All right. Well, these are all awesome decks, gentlemen. I appreciate you sharing them with me and with the listeners. I want to try this. Uh, I want to try all of them, actually. I've been thinking about a mono black deck for a while, and Gary seems to be the natural fit there. And I've actually been looking at Necropanther for quite a while, and hearing you talk about it has me interested again. Well, good, good. That's that's my point. I, I would love for someone, you or listener or someone, to like screenshot me a deck list of you know of a necropanther brew that just dominates or can consistently win or is you know reliable that sort of thing so and i've been looking for a golgari deck like i i honestly feel like autumnal bloom is probably the closest to a 60 card tortured existence deck that we can get in pdh (laughs) so i'm I'm in love with this one I'll, i'll definitely be building this or some variety of this pretty 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 soon here i i have a lot of fun with it it seems fun. The one thing I want to caution you about is um, there is a a small but uh, notable subsection of Magic players who get really frustrated at getting beaten huh. to death by an uninteractable Voltron threat because oh, it has hexproof. <laughs> um, if you if you find the subset of people who is those people who are also mixed with the that's not technically illegal commander, then you will be the one who has a bad time. So, oh yeah, uh, I assume be, that. Yep. Be forewarned, <laughs> there are complications inherent with playing an illegal tree uh, that beats people to death and is uninteractable. But uh, yeah. I've, I've generally had really good experiences with the it. Un- the uninteractable is okay. Uh, Saturday I played Sphinx of the Guild Pact. So <laughs> I've only ever Voltron. I've only ever played against Sphinx once, and it was with my Shark to Crab deck. I could just lock it down all game long. Everyone else was like, what do we do about the Sphinx? And I was like, I don't know what the problem is, guys. So like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, but it was fun. I just loaded up with all the old school multicolor enchantments and went to town. I didn't win, but it was fun. Yeah. Sphinx is a house. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I think that's going to wrap it up here. We'll hit the outro. Uh, Once again, thank you everybody for your decks. We'll go through these. We'll get all for the listeners. We're going to have all these deck lists posted in the show notes, the links to everything you want to, you want to even know about from this episode we'll have them down there but a few more things to go over before we wrap it up for the week if for some reason you need you need more popper commander talk or have any questions about the format you can always email the show at the pdhpod at gmail.com you can head on over to the pdh home bases website that'll take you right to the discord server or you can find liam and i on twitter at popper command and popper underscore b respectively and as always you can find dave as alcadron just about anywhere PDH is being talked about. And Scarecrow, where can they find you? Uh, so I'm on Reddit, Discord, and Twitter, uh, and very recently Instagram. Still trying to figure that out. All as Scarecrow1779. Perfect. We will get that in the show notes as well. And then one more big thanks to Paul for showing up, chatting for us for a few hours about the best damn format in the whole world. And then as episode 21 of the PDH pod comes to a close, we want to give a big thanks to MTG Brad for letting us use their original music. And from everyone in here to everyone out there, brew a deck, go play in the dirt, and we'll see you in about a week. Peace. Cheers. See you. Goodbye forever. I brought pop text at the party. Party.